Create, connect, communicate. Create, connect, communicate. Magical, enigmatical, gift of gab, super, super agile, story, story from the space man. Come well lit. <laughs> The audio. All so, right, all right. That, yeah. sh- that should be fine. I'll I'll talk with my right hand. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Dope. Yeah, we are good. We're recording here. That's what's yeah. up, man. I'm yeah. I'm nervous right now. Yeah, don't be it's nervous. Like, it's worse than a this basketball is, this game. This is game time. Baby. Yeah, it's game time. Yep. It's exactly. been a while since I've been in the game, so the lights are bright. The crowd uh, is cheering. Everyone is ready. For Mr. Jerry yeah, Koo. That's right. Episode nine, number nine, baby. Exactly. Episode nine, number nine. You are a baller. And that is your number. Episode nine of Firelight Chats. Welcome, everyone. We've been away for a little bit, but we are back in the house with a very special guest here, Mr. Jerry Koo. Appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me. Yes, of course. Thank you. Thank you very much for coming by on a very hot Monday morning. Yeah, stupid hot. It is like desert hot. I took 45 minutes just to get just get cooled down. I know. I know. We're finally there. And hopefully this AC is going to stay with us. We'll turn it down even more. Yeah, I <laughs> like that. It is, it is so hot in here. Yeah. How hot is it today? Uh, it said it felt like 39. I looked on my app earlier today. It really? Yeah. Yeah. It's that humidity too. Uh, crazy. Uh, I will say this. If you're in the shade, it feels great. Mm. Oh, really? When you're in the shade, the wind blowing, it's cold, cold wind, it feels great. But okay. if you're out in the sun, man, I was like sweating through my pants. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you rode your motorcycle today. Yeah, that's right. Out <laughs> <laughs> oh, all in the sun. Oh, but, my uh, goodness. It hasn't been sunny very much in the last couple of months. So, you know, whenever I get a chance, I got I to gotta try and, you know, take advantage. Yep, exactly. Um, all right. So we are talking with uh, Jerry Koo here. He is a Taiwanese American. Oh, uh, Ta- you, you can say that. Yeah. Third so culture. That's exactly why I wanted to talk to you today, because you are the embodiment of a third culture kid, right? Uh, that's right. Um, and then we can actually just take a look at the definition here. Here we are. Third culture kids or third culture individuals are people who are raised in a culture other than their parents or the culture of their country of nationality, and also live in a different environment during a significant part of their childhood development years. So the culture or country of your parents' nationality is Taiwan. That's right. In the house. But you were raised elsewhere. Yeah, multiple different places, man. Uh, Just to name a few, Detroit, LA, uh, Singapore, Shanghai lived significant time in all of these places okay so the first place was detroit michigan uh yeah well i was born here right i was okay. born here in taiwan taipei i lived here till i was uh, nine going to public schools mm. uh and then when i was nine i moved with my mom and we we went to detroit uh because of my stepdad uh he was working for gm at the time Oh, okay. I was going to say, yeah. yeah, Detroit is either Motown or cars. Yeah. <laughs> Same thing. It's always, it's always one of the three. Okay. So he went to Detroit for that, for work. Yeah. And that's, I think how most third culture kids kind of get into that situation, right? Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, 
it's a it's a good situation, man. So, what was Detroit like? So, uh, you were telling me before we got on the air yeah. that when you first arrived in Detroit, can you tell us about that? Yeah, man. Uh, it was it was kind of wild, actually. Uh, kind of throw it back to right before I left. Uh, the year before I left, in, in the summer, uh, my parents were asking me to go to the states just for a holiday. So I went, and it was great time. You know, I've never been. I never spent a significant amount of time in the states. I had a great summer. And so I came back and it was like, hey, you, you, you know, you, would you live here? I was like, yeah, I would live there. Mm-hmm. Not knowing any better. You right, know? right. <laughs> come, come next, uh, come December. They were like, yo, we got everything ready. You know, you're moving to, to Detroit like next week. I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> they tricked you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, wait, what? They got your approval first. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, as soon as I got there, uh, I was put in a public school. But at the time, I didn't really speak much English at all. I've taken lessons um, but, you know, as most non-native speakers would be, uh, I was very shy about mm-hmm. speaking English. And, you know, relatively speaking, I was pretty good at English at the time, you know, for my age and, and the people that I was around, being local, going, going to a public school. Mm. My English was okay, but I was too shy to speak. The first week, at, uh, you know, maybe the first month at school, there was no other capable Chinese speaker. So everybody spoke English. I was in the <laughs> suburbs and, and like there was one Asian dude whose family was Taiwanese, but he spoke very minimum Chinese. Right. So for the first month, I had, a, I had a sheet on my desk and it had a translation in Chinese and English. So if I had to go to the bathroom, I would raise my hand. The teacher would come. I would point and be like, uh, well, sounds her so. Wow. And he's like, oh, you want to go to the bathroom? Okay, go ahead. Like I, I would have, you know, Daily, the chi-chi. yeah, the cheat sheet. Daily, I would just point, and I would I be too to shy pee, to say. I need to eat. I need to take a nap. Yeah, <laughs> everything, man. <laughs> it was wild, uh, but uh, wow. eventually I coped. Yeah. Oh wow. Okay, so you entered a public school in the yeah. United States. That's right. Okay. Yeah, small school called uh, Schroeder Elementary. So shout out uh, okay. in Troy, Troy, Michigan. Troy, Michigan. Troy, Michigan. And Troy, Michigan. What is Troy, Michigan like? Oh man, to be honest, I don't remember a lot, but mm. I did a lot of outdoor stuff. This is kind of where I got my passion for sports, actually. Mm. Uh, I played a lot of street hockey. Mm. I lived very close to a high school called Troy High School. Uh, right outside the school, they have a lot of uh, you know woods with like m- mountain biking paths. Mm. So I used to ride every day after school. And, mm. in, and, and in Michigan, it gets dark late mm. uh, you know, in the summer. Yeah, so we would be out there. North, yeah. So, so we'd mm. be out there, you know, uh, biking, playing hockey, skating, whatever, playing hoops till like 10 p.m. All day. All day, every day. Just having fun. Yeah, every day. That's crazy, right? Because I talk to some of my Taiwanese friends and tell them about growing up in, in Southern California. And a lot of them are super jealous because they're like, you know, the, the life of a young Taiwanese is not always filled with leisure and fun. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the, the contrast <laughs> was huge because all I did in in Taiwan when I was growing up was go to school, go to yeah, like more school, go to like the anxing ban, like the yeah. after school activities, the academy type stuff. Yep. And I would go home and like do my homework and go to sleep. Yeah. Whereas like in Detroit, truth be told, I didn't do any homework. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> I would go home, drop my bags off and just 
bust out and go play and just go play yeah just go play explore yeah get in trouble yeah get um, not too much trouble okay. but yeah <laughs> that comes later in the yeah story. That, that comes later in life <laughs> at this point i was a good boy you were an innocent good boy yeah. uh looking at your little cheat sheet yeah. and saying the right english in chinese that's right that's right i wasn't even speaking i was just pointing <laughs> yeah oh wow so how long did you stay there in troy in troy was about two and a half years okay about two and a half years uh so i was there in uh i moved there halfway through fourth grade Okay. And I finished, uh, I finished like sixth grade. Hmm. After I finished sixth grade, I moved. Okay. Yeah. So this is the, the second move in the States. Uh, well, actually, I moved directly to Singapore. So oh. I jumped right back into Asia. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Uh, uh, that was crazy. Um, so a part of the story is like I, I spent so much time getting comfortable. Yeah. Right. You know, uh, at that age, there wasn't like internet. I wasn't able mm. to really keep up with my friends in Taiwan. Mm. So I had to make do with what it was in, in Detroit. Mm. Um, it's kind of weird saying that there's no internet, you know, yeah, it, feel, know. it makes me feel kind of old. I but. know. These young <laughs> but, people are like, wait, what? what do you mean no internet? <laughs> <laughs> that really exists? Yeah. But, yeah. but yeah, so I actually learned how to speak English, not because I went to school. Mm. I learned how to speak English because I was playing recess football, touch football. Yeah. So I've always been pretty quick. And when you were in Taiwan growing up, you play a lot of tag mm. at recess. So you're good at running and dodging. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so I played a lot of touch football and I made friends with some of the, the athletes of the time, like elementary school okay. athletes, right? Like yeah. it's not real athletes. Right. But it's <laughs> the mini athletes. The mini athletes, yeah. the, what will turn out to be an athlete. Yeah. But they're all like, Caucasian people and they all spoke English. Nice. And so Midwestern white folk. That's right. Michigan. I had to fit in, you know, I had to learn the language and, and, you know, to, in order to play with them. Wow. So after two years, how much did your English improve? Oh man, I was fluent, almost fluent. Like, you know, I, I struggled sometimes because I was learning through conversation. Mm. Uh, I struggle sometimes to put it down on paper. So for example, when I was younger, I used to think that a little bit was a little big oh. until somebody corrected me. So I, I was like, oh, this is a little big of what, 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 like. Right, 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 right. But then somebody corrected me and that's kind of how I learned. Yeah, and you're like, whoa, yeah. I was saying that wrong the whole time. Yeah, for like two years. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a little big something. Yeah, yeah. That's funny. Yeah, yeah, that happens, right, with language. Yeah. Did you have any uh, bad experiences growing up in Detroit? Or Troy, Troy, Michigan? Uh, to be honest, not really. You know, where I live, Troy, Michigan, in the suburbs, it was a pretty uh, safe neighborhood. Oh, maybe one time, actually. Uh, I lived on the cul-de-sac. Mm. So, Me too. Uh, right, past my, right past my driveway is a Can little... Can you explain a cul-de-sac for people? Uh, it's a roundabout, right? Yeah. Like the end, of, the end of the street in the roundabout, and I was the last house. So, I had a little molehill, like maybe like a couple, couple feet high, uh, and then it crosses out to the main street. Mm. Uh, there was one time during the summer I was <laughs> foolish as a kid. Obviously, this is this might have been where the, the bag came out. Yeah, so <laughs> it came out so, quick. So, <laughs> so I had a I had a water gun. Okay. I was I like crossed over the molehill. I was standing on the side of the street and just spraying people's cars. Oh, just standing on the side of the street. I was like, yeah, car wash, man. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so it was fine. Uh, until like one guy got pissed and he like turned around came got out the car and like started chasing me so i just like ran back in the house i was scared oh, i was wow. scared shitless that day <laughs> <laughs> so i no, no needless to say i didn't do that again mm. um i was like 11 
I almost shit my pants. No, but no yeah, lie. That, <laughs> that's uh, that's actually pretty uh, pretty mild because. Growing up, I had friends who were like throwing rocks at cars, you know, like, and you hear those stories sometimes where people like these kids like drop rocks off of bridges yeah. over the highway and like literally it'll just break through the windshield and kill the driver or something. Yeah. Uh, I, I wasn't that extreme. Okay. Yeah, I was a suburb of kid. Yeah. yeah. Just, uh, just water guns. Just water guns. So far. Yeah. Yeah. No, not even soap. So that was <laughs> just clear water. And back in Michigan, you could drink the water out the pipe. So it was like, right, right, right. Or at least back in the back early 2000s. Cause it's not like Flint nowadays. Yeah. Where you shouldn't be drinking the water. Exactly. It's so back sad. in those days, it was all right. Wow. All right. So you were, about two years in Michigan, and then suddenly you get noticed that, did your parents trick you again uh, uh, to no, get to no. Singapore? How did no, that happen? So uh, what happened was my stepdad actually was moved from Taiwan to, to Detroit because he got moved to the headquarters okay. at, at General Motors. Yes. Um, so after his two years, uh, he was relocated to Singapore for their Southeast Asian headquarters. Oh, okay. So all GM. Yeah, all GM. Okay. Uh, all my moves are GM related mostly. Oh, wow, yeah. really? Or at least in the younger childhood stages. Okay. Um, so yeah, we, we got stationed in Singapore, which was also a very interesting experience. Yeah, it's interesting you say stationed too, because it yeah. does sound kind of like a military family experience too, yeah. right? Yeah. Where you get stationed in different places for a couple of years. Yeah. But that's the same thing for business too. What, what did your stepfather do at GM? Uh, he was head of communications at uh, GM. Oh, so a lot nice. of like publicity stuff. Oh, so he probably spoke English well. Oh yeah, he he uh he was born in Hong Kong, but was he went to TAS actually. Okay. So he was Taipei here American in Taipei. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, he moved to Oregon at uh, I think 13, 14. Oh, okay. So uh, he spoke he speaks better English than Chinese. So when I talk to my stepdad, I, I speak English. So he was already comfortable in the states. Yeah, so he was fine. They yeah. sent you. It's almost like, yeah, going in his footsteps in a little way, right? Yeah, yeah. What about when you went to Singapore? How was that? Like, you know, you you were just getting used to this this American culture, speaking English, going from the cheat sheet to actually speaking, and then suddenly you get you know whisked away and go back to Asia, but not to Taiwan. So, how did Singapore feel for you? To be honest, I think all of my moves felt the same way. Mm. Uh, in the beginning, uh, I had just gotten comfortable, like you said. I made some pretty good friends. Uh, I was happy with where I was at at the time, and I really didn't want to go to Singapore. Singapore, mm. you know, no disrespect to Singapore, it's a great place, but it was a very small city, very small country. Right, um, city state. And I had never been. And I, all I knew was it was humid and it was hot. Like, like today. <laughs> yeah, like today. Uh, worse than today, actually. Yeah, you know, it's closer exactly. to the equator, so, you know, that. Yeah, she's hot. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Okay, so how long was this Singapore stint? It was also about two and a half years. Oh, wow. It was also about two and a half years. Uh, I, I, I also went to a public school there. Hmm. So that was also very interesting. That was crazy, actually. Um, so for you, for you, if you don't know much about Singapore, in elementary school, uh, a lot of times they have uh, morning and afternoon school. Hmm. So like grades one, three, five would be in the morning. Two, four, six would be in the afternoon. Whoa. Yeah. They split it. They split it. Okay. Yeah. So like one year I would attend, I would attend class in the morning. The next year I would attend class in the afternoon. You graduate to, to going to classes in the afternoon yeah. when you get older. Yeah. Well, oh, it's wow. one, three, five, two, four, six. So like it goes alternate, right? Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm saying all this, hoping, hoping that my memory is like, okay. Yeah, you know? right, 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 right. At least this is how you remember it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Whoa, that's, that's weird. Yeah. Do you know why they do that? Do you have any idea? 
that I know that for my school, uh, I went to St. Andrews, which is a Christian school, mm. a public school, and the, the original campus was being renovated and rebuilt. So it was taking two, three years to do. And so we were in a temporary campus, which was a lot smaller. Uh, so in order to fit everybody in, they were doing that. Oh, wow. Um, but I know that my sister, who went to my school, sister school, it was a boy school, and then she went to a, to a girl, girl school. Girl school, yeah. Um, so she was also doing that at the time. Um, okay. So I, to be honest, I'm not exactly too sure on why. Right. Uh, and at the time, I didn't question it. Yeah, that, it was very interesting. One of the cool, one of the first things I realized about Singapore was that you know the Singaporean accent. Yeah, la. Uh, yeah, and it was a <laughs> lot, man. Uh, the first, the first time I met my step cousin, mm. he asked me if I wanted to play the computer, play on the computer. Back then, Counter Strike was big. Yeah. Everybody was on it, and so he he kept asking me, "Hey, hey you want to play the gum?" I was like, what? <laughs> hey, you want to play the cum? I was like, what? I want to play the what? Play the cum. <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh, man, this is not right. That could mean something else. Yeah, I, yeah at the time, I didn't know any better again. <laughs> but, but I was like, what? Uh, so I, I struggled understanding. I struggled understanding what they were talking about for a while. Wow, you got the Singapore accent down there. Oh, man, I went to a public school. I could, I could turn this on right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, so I think this whole Singapore part, you just should speak in Singapore uh, in English. Oh, can also can that. <laughs> So the language, the yeah, because it's English, but it's Singaporean English. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I think one of the most more difficult part of, of it is that the educational system is very different from anywhere else. Yeah, uh, Singapore is very highly educated, and when I actually graduated sixth grade, did I graduate fifth grade? Fifth grade, and then when I moved to Singapore, regardless, they had to move bump me down a year. Oh, okay. because of the educational differences. Oh wow! Uh, they actually wanted to bump me down two years. And I was like, no, I'm not doing that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> at that time, I had to put my foot down. Right. <laughs> the exactly. First of many. Right. I, was like, I was like, nah, man, I'm not doing that. I'm not going that far. <laughs> yeah. I'm not playing with these children. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Poor Americans. Yeah. Americans, they're like, nah, you're American. You go down. Yeah, because I mean, like in Singapore, uh, when you when you finish 10th grade, you're done with high school. Yeah. Oh, it, wow. It's really? the equivalent of the U.S. 10th grade. Oh, wow, really? Yeah, so uh, one of my friends, one of my close friends from Singapore, who I'm still talking to today, he, went, he ended up going to USC, but he had to go to, uh, he had to, go to uh, Pomona, PCC, Pomona yeah. Community College, Community College. Uh, because it had to act as a junior college for him because he was so young. Oh, really? Yeah, so he had to do two years first and then transfer to USC. Oh, that's that sucks, right? Because that's your advantage. You get to graduate early and yeah. then, then you just have to chill out anyways. Yeah. Well, PCC is pretty, yeah, it's pretty chill. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's a pretty nice place to be, That's if you ask true, me. To chill out. You go in there at like 16. Yeah. You know? And you're just like basically waiting. Yeah, so, just independent, going to some college courses, get some credits, you know, driving your nice car around, living in, pa yeah, you know, Pasadena. in California. So you're just chilling. Yeah, it's chilling so hard. Oh, that's funny. A lot wow. of distractions, man. A lot exactly. of distractions. Exactly. That's where I grew up, California. So, yep. Life full of distractions. Yeah. <laughs> Great place, though. Not going to lie. Yep, exactly. Wow. All right. So what are your fondest or worst memories from growing up in Singapore? Uh... I think my fondest memory was playing hockey. So I, mm. uh, like I said, I played a little bit of street hockey in the in Michigan, mm -hmm. uh, and at that point, I had acquired a set of uh, hockey skates, roller skates. Mm. I played a roller hockey. Right, roller blading, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So they they still make hockey skates for those, um, and I actually busted them. So I had to find a place where they would be able to repair my hockey skates. Mm. I was a big skater back in the day, and so I ended up finding this place which sells hockey skates. 
and they played hockey. Uh, so I ended up playing there, playing for club teams, and I ended up uh, representing Singapore in the World Inline Cup. Uh, Whoa, really? Two, two years consecutively in, uh, I believe, 2013 and 2014. No, wow. 2012 and 2013. Whoa, okay. Yeah, so I played uh, for Team Singapore for two years. Uh, one year we went to Edmonton. Hmm. Uh, Canada. Edmonton, Canada. One year, and the second year we went to uh, London, Ontario. Hmm. So both in Canada. It, okay. was, it was pretty amazing because uh, a kid from Taiwan ended up going playing for Team Singapore. They didn't check nationality back then. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I ended up playing with the best players from, uh, the, I was U13 at the time. Okay. So I was playing U13 and we ended up playing the best players from the States, Canada, uh, Great Britain, Australia. And I got a month off of school just to go to this tournament. When I came back, uh, the second year we got third place in the world. Wow. Uh, yeah, and, and when I came Damn. back, newspapers were out with our names on it. Like, it was it was pretty cool. Whoa. That was one of the coolest experiences I've had. Huh. So what position did you play? Uh, I played right wing. Okay. But uh, to be honest, Singapore is so small, there, were a lot of, there weren't a lot of players. So I played a, quite a little bit of everything. Mm. Uh, so wherever coach needed me to be. At that level, at that level, it's about how good you can skate, right? Right. Um, and so if you can skate, you can play a little bit of everything. Right. And I'd like to think I'm a decently coordinated person, a mm. pr pretty solid athlete. So Yeah. So I was able to play a little bit of everything, but I played right, left wing, sometimes center. Okay. Yeah. So this makes sense for the larger story, right? Because I know you as a basketball player, That's but right. I didn't know about this, this background with hockey, but that makes a lot of sense. If yeah. you have agility on the skates, then yeah. probably can get some handles on yeah. the court. Singapore actually, you know, bringing it to basketball, Singapore actually was where I uh, really fell in love with basketball, not Detroit actually. Okay. Uh, when I was in Detroit, Pistons were very good. Yeah. Chauncey Billups, uh, you know, Ooh. Rip Hamilton, Tayshawn Prince, Rasheed Wallace, mm -hmm. Ben Wallace. Okay. Uh, they that was were the very team. Good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, the the year boys. I left, they won. Yeah. The year I won, they left. They, uh, they won. Um, oh, wow. But yeah, so that Singapore is actually really where I started to play basketball. The apartment complex I lived in was a very active one. And there was uh, a lot of people my age and slightly older. Uh, there, was a min there was like a half-court basketball court and there was a rooftop like open area where we played street soccer. Ooh, so on the every, rooftop. On the rooftop. It, if you kick it too high, like the fence is about this high. Wow, like uh, waist those, high. Yeah, waist high, a little, a little past waist high. So you have to kick it within under the fence to hit, to score the goal. So if you ever hit it too high, it goes down and you have to go down and get it. You have to go down the building yeah, to find it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow, yeah. So that's crazy. Every day in Singapore, that's all I did. Wow. That's all I did was play basketball and play soccer and play hockey. Obviously. And play hockey. Um, yeah. And my family played a lot of badminton at the time. So I also did that. So seven days out of a week, I'm exercising. I'm doing something. You're just playing sports. Playing sports. We're playing like in the, the compound is not, it's a pretty solid size compound. So we have mm. like a walking area, like a little park area. We would play tag on our roller skates, on foot, on bikes, like a mixture of all kinds oh, of things. And we just fun. play tag. Yeah. So some, someone might be on skates, somebody might be on a bicycle, somebody might be on foot, somebody might be on a scooter. Like, oh, no way. We just play, we play tag like that. That's awesome. Yeah, it was amazing throughout the entire uh, apartment complex. So that was also a very good time. Okay. Yeah. Just having fun. Yeah, always. Exploring yourself. Yeah. Yeah, and your body in a lot of ways, right? Like figuring yeah. out how, how to move. Yeah, I think uh, 
I, I've, I think I've been pretty lucky that both my biological father and my stepfather are both very close to me mm. and they're both pretty decent athletes. Mm. Um, and so they love sports. Since I was young, they've put me on the path of doing sports, whether it's golf, basketball, uh, hockey, skating, all of that. They taught me biking, badminton. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. I, I figured that there might be some kind of sports background. And then, you know, because in Taiwanese culture, sports is not really looked at as something great, right? So, yeah. yeah, so I'm curious about that. Was it that your parents kind of just really wanted you to be able to explore those kind of things? Or were they just like too busy? So you just did your own thing and that's what you gravitated towards? I wouldn't say they were too busy. Mm. Uh, I think when I was in Taiwan, my parents were starting up their business. They were a little bit more busy then. I was raised by my grandma. I mm. lived with my grandma while they were working. But when I got to the States, one of the biggest things we did was play golf on the weekends. Uh, and then, you know, my dad would come out, shoot hoops with me. My stepdad would come out and shoot hoops with me, throw mm. the football around, throw the baseball around, whatever. Mm. Whenever we got a chance. We were close to a couple of Taiwanese families that had moved there as well. They had kids that were similar to our age. Mm. And so uh, we would be out there playing all kinds of different sports. Mm -hmm. So then after about two and a half years in Singapore, where was the next destination? Yeah, so we uh, got moved to Shanghai, uh, China. Wow. Obviously at that time, I believe it was 2004. Okay. Uh, and China was about to boom, right? Yeah. Like China was starting to boom. Right. Um, and to this day, I'll say this right now on, on the podcast, Shanghai is probably my favorite city in the world. Shanghai is one of the greatest cities on the planet. Yeah. yeah. Um, this is an even funnier story because like we talked about earlier, uh, moving to different places for me was very difficult. And in Singapore, I have found a national team of players, uh, you know, to play hockey with. Yep. And in my apartment complex, I had a bunch of friends who I, we would go do any sports, go to movies, go get food, whatever. Uh, and I was also doing a lot of aggressive skating. For those who don't know, it's like skate park stuff. Mm, so mm -hmm. roller skating and doing like doing like tricks. ramps and jumps and tricks yeah. and stuff like that. Um, so I was doing a lot in Singapore. Uh, we visited, although we didn't visit China. So we, my mom told me when we were in Taiwan that we were gonna move to China mm. and I bust out crying. Wow. And I was like- This was when you were in Singapore? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but I, I was actually on, in Taiwan on the holiday okay. at the time. And I was like, no man. China's, I want to go to China. China's full of farms. Like, <laughs> what am I going to do there? Like, <laughs> not knowing anything about China, you know? Right. Like, what am I going to do in China? In China. Like, yeah. We're from like developed yeah. Taiwan. I was like, I'm Taiwanese, man. <laughs> <laughs> but things have changed. Things have changed. Uh, yep. So uh, when I got to China, when I got to Shanghai, uh, I got put, well, I enrolled in a, a school called Shanghai Community International School. In Shanghai, there are, I would say, tens, if not 20, 30 or more of international schools and bilingual schools. Mm -hmm. uh, my school was one of the original or one of the first few fully international schools where if you have a Chinese passport, you cannot enter as for foreigners only. Okay. Um, and at the time, Taiwanese passport was good enough. Yeah, so I ended up going there. That's where some of my best memories in my life have ever happened. Made some of the best friends I've ever had to this day. And wow. we still talk every day. So what grade did you enter and what grade did you leave? I entered seventh grade. 
and I finished high school there. Oh, okay. Yes. So this is really this is a stint. formative times yeah. of your life. Yeah, this is this is the very formative times and yeah. a very, very, very interesting time in China's history. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Two, starting from 2004. Yeah. So as I'm, the country's just going through this extraordinary rocket ship yeah, development. Gr super growth. It's crazy. Like you would be gone for six months and you come back, you would not recognize the city. I know. There's new buildings popping up in every corner. Yeah. I mean, there's still is but yeah. it slowed down considerably yeah obviously. you were there at yeah. the time i remember because uh was it 2008 or 2010 when they had the expo yeah uh, shanghai expo so, right yeah everybody was like the entire city the entire government was working on bettering shanghai yeah and so i was there watching the process grow and watching like the city grow obviously i was young and i didn't know much about you know all of this but I could see it change and, right. and, you know, policies change and people change. And, you know, looking back at it, I could see the money come in. Yeah. Right? I could see where the, the money was flowing into the city and standards of living were changing and everything was growing. It was crazy. Yeah. That's the amazing thing, right? The Chinese government's not afraid to spend that money either. Right. Not at all. Exactly. Not at all. To develop. Yeah. One of the coolest things for me was just to experience, being able to experience everything. Um, I don't know if I should be saying this, but you know, at the time, like, China, a lot of stuff was in a lot of very gray areas. Of course, and uh, let's still let, is. Yeah, <laughs> let's let's take drinking for example, okay. al alcohol for example. They wouldn't card you ever. Mm. Uh, I was thirteen, like I could walk into a club. Yeah, exactly. Like, and the club is full of thirteen-year-olds. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, thirteen-year-olds smoking cigarettes. Yeah, drinking just alcohol. smoking cigarettes, drinking alcohol all weekend, every weekend. Oh, that's man. what it was like when I first moved there. That's a crazy place to grow up. Uh, crazy, but it uh, really teaches you to like look out for yourself. One of the crazy things is like when you go to college, a lot of people have been at home and been cooped up for so long and they go to college, they feel like it's, oh, it's, it's a way to like release. I got freedom and they go overboard. Right. This is when you hear about freshman parties and people, you know, getting sent home in ambulances and going to the hospital because they drank too much or they're peeing themselves or shitting themselves or yep. whatever. Or just dying. Yeah. I mean, literally. Yeah, yeah. Or like puking on themselves, whatever. But this process, granted, I didn't do a lot of clubbing and drinking because by the time I got to Shanghai, I was a full blown basketball player and mm. I was focused on being an athlete. My dream was to play professionally. And so I didn't do a lot of that. Mm. Uh, when people went, I didn't go. But I've gone enough times to know what my limits are and how to control myself. Right. So it helped me a lot when I got to college mm. to, to handle myself properly. Right, exactly. Yeah. So at that time, did you give up? I mean, how, what was that transition from hockey to basketball like? Did yeah. you kind of play both of them in parallel or? When, when I was in Singapore, I did. When okay. I was in Singapore, I did. But when I got to Shanghai, it was very difficult to play hockey. A very, very, culture even exists. more, even more niche than in Singapore. So I didn't really give it up. It just kind of like slowly moved out just of my disappeared. life. Yeah. And I would go skating. If you don't know Shanghai, it's one of the biggest metropolitan cities in the world. There aren't a lot of like, like nice open, open public spaces yeah, to, 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 to go skating. <laughs> yeah. You would exactly. just skate on the road and it would be not comfortable on your legs. So then I just graduated, did, did less and less of that. The transition to basketball was easy because basketball is much more accessible. All I mm. needed was a hoop and a ball. Yep. I don't need nobody else. I don't need nothing else. Mm. I can just go shoot by myself if I wanted to. Right. Um, so at that point, I ended up playing basketball every day mm. uh, for four or five hours a day. Um, and, you know, people, uh, people will come in, we play twos, we play threes, we play fours, we play fives all day. In the rain, doesn't matter. 
yeah that, that's kind of how we grew up back then you know like even if it was in the rain i was like yo i can work i can work on something here right you know? right um and so uh, on the weekends me and one of my best boys james sh- shout out to james shout out to james uh he lives in Kaohsiung now and he he uh he's a teacher at uh, Kaohsiung American School. Oh, okay. Him and I would meet up at his compound, which had an outdoor basketball court, full court. We'd be there from like 1 p.m. till like 11 p.m. Oh, or man. sometimes like 11 a.m. till 11 p.m. Wow. So we just hoop. Just and, hooping. And we play one-on-one. We do some shooting drills or whatever, and people would show up and we'd, we'd play them, and then they would leave and we'd keep playing mm. every day. Right. Um, that's kind of how I became a basketball player. When I got to the school, our school was very small. Uh, it was a newer campus. Uh, we had 50 people between middle school and high school at the time when oh, I wow. entered. Wow, okay. And, and I knew how to play basketball. I was decent. The principal saw me playing at recess, and he came up to me. He's like, hey, you like basketball. You want to join the team? I was like, okay. So <laughs> you can play for the high school team, and it's uh, the JV team. Mm-hmm. Junior so, varsity. Yeah. And so I played JV when I was in seventh grade. Uh, nice. And for the first time in my life, organized basketball. Um, and that's kind of how, that's kind of where it all started. So you played all the years throughout yeah, high school? six years high school. So yeah. it's going to be hard to come up, come at my records. Right, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Because nobody gets to play six years. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, right. <laughs> wow. And uh, was basketball huge as it is nowadays in China, you know, because China has a huge basketball market. But how was it back then? If I'm not remembering wrong, it was the rise of Yao. Oh, really? Is that when uh, Yao was rising? It okay. was right around then. Oh, wow. Right okay. around when Yao was getting really big. Um, and he was like an all-star. Okay. So it was starting to get, like, I think basketball, whether or not it's big, it, there's always people playing everywhere. Yep. And so you can always find a court to hoop with uh, and people to hoop with. So uh, for me, that was pretty good. I used to just walk down to the courts. And uh, where I lived, we had an indoor uh, half court and people would book it out for their own exercises like kind of like what what we do now in Taipei is people right. book the courts they have their own friends come I used to just walk downstairs with my ball and I would just sit there and mm. then they would invite me to play with them so much so that I ended up being a regular at all five days of the week like evening runs <laughs> so like I would just walk down and be like yo Jerry come play yeah yeah, and yeah. there would be like full grown adults like us they would be our age or older and right. I was 14, 15. Okay. And I'll be playing it with adults. That's kind of how oh, it elevated. That's, yeah, that's how you elevate your game, yeah, right? That's kind of yeah. how it elevated. Getting pushed around by big guys and yeah. then start pushing them back. Yeah. And so, <laughs> some, some, I've always uh, I've always wanted to be a big man. Like, you know, for people who can't see, I'm like 5'6 and small and Asian. <laughs> but I've always wanted but to be a quick. big man. Yeah, quick. quick yeah. yeah. <laughs> quick, fast, don't lie. <laughs> exactly. Shout out D Rose. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Oh, wow. So that's where you really cut your teeth. It's yeah. like Shanghai, just yeah. pick up all P- over the place. Pick up every day. Playing like, uh, at the time, streetball was getting really big. Mm. Uh, and one. Mm-hmm. And so there were a lot of streetball tournaments. And there were some Shanghai streetballers that used to play at the courts that I played. Mm. So I used to go, I used to get head to, head to head with their starting point guard, who was nasty, by the way. Oh, yeah. I don't know his name, but like, wow, he was nasty. And he used to cross me up until I started getting, you know, better. Right. Um, and then it would be a great, like, it would be a great fight. Right, 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 yeah. right. You Obviously, start. he's older and bigger and stronger, but right. know, I was 15 and I was fast. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yep. but that those lessons are so important, right? Yeah, man. Uh, I think uh, one of the things that for basketball that I, I love about 
what the day and age now is, is that people are getting the proper training and the, the knowledge of basketball being much more easily accessible. Mm. But, <clears throat> but at the time, it wasn't as accessible. You just got to learn it. And the, 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 the con to what the day and age now is you, you don't have the dog, like dog fight in you to play street ball and just go out there and like look at somebody who's twice your size and twice your age and just, and just be let's like, go. let's go. Yeah. Yep. Let's exactly. go. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Wow. Okay. So any other, uh, big memories from growing up in Shanghai aside from basketball? Oh yeah. Lots, man. Uh, uh, like you said today, I, uh, rode, rode in on my motorcycle. I had my first motorcycle when I was in Shanghai at like 14 years old and without, without my parents knowing. So let's hope that they don't hear this. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So you just like save up some money and then. Yeah. So I, I've always been a big car guy, a big motorcycle guy. Uh, and I just thought it was really cool and I wanted one. Yeah. Um, and you know, at the time in Shanghai, things were cheap. And yeah. Things were really cheap. It was like 2000 RMB, which is the equivalent of what, like less than 10 K mm -hmm. NTD. Right. So I saved up some money, some Hongbao money, Hongbao money, some birthday money, whatever. Yep. And I put it together and just <laughs> bought, oh, bought wow. myself a bike. Uh, yeah. And that really taught me a lot because I crashed on it a couple of times. <laughs> <laughs> so, Damn, in Shanghai, that must be crazy. The yeah. traffic must have been crazy too. Yeah. Back then it was even less organized than it, was, than it is now, you know? Right. Um, and yeah, like I cracked my head open. I wasn't wearing a helmet. I flipped over my bike and I just like, passed down in the middle of the street and then like people pulled me to the side i was having this conversation with somebody yesterday actually so no people way. pulled me to the side and like i was like passed out and ambulance came and i got taken to the hospital i had to call my mom you were like bleeding everywhere too yeah i was cut on my head i was cut on my arms my legs i like when i got to school i went to school the next day <laughs> <laughs> so I'm a good student. <laughs> Let the record show. Let the record show. <laughs> but uh, I had a bandage around like horizontally and vertically. Like a zombie. Like crazy, like a mummy. Like No way. It was wild. That's hilarious. Yeah, I came in on crutches and one of my really good friends, uh, it was her first day of school and she saw this dude come in with crutches and like I was wearing a tank top because I had so many cuts I couldn't wear a shirt. No. And so I was just like, oh. You were mummy. You just straight oh, mummied in. I was fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> so why did you go to school the next day? Just because you didn't want to get in trouble from your parents and just, you know. Uh, I mean, my parents knew. They saw how fucked up I was. <laughs> <laughs> how could you hide that, right? <laughs> I, I, there was no point. They, they picked me up at the hospital. I was right. like, I'm never riding again. <laughs> Sorry, mother. I'm never riding again. Yeah. Uh, I don't know why, to be honest. I don't know why. <laughs> Yeah, that doesn't sound so. But I think that might have been the whole Asian parents type thing. You right, know, right. you're all right. You're home now. You could go to school. Exactly, yeah. go to school. <laughs> so, I, to be honest, I don't really know. So that's like lawless Shanghai. There's like clubs at 14, drinking, yeah. uh, illegal driving, yeah. motorcycles, illegal motorcycles too. Like it was. Uh, yeah, right. It, sure. My my bike wasn't road legal. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure the emissions control wasn't that great. Yeah, it, it wasn't great. <laughs> So yeah, it was a great time. I learned a lot, a lot, a lot about growing up, a lot about Chinese culture. Mm. Um, ended up, you know, obviously I ended up working there later on in my life, but uh, yeah, we'll get to that. Yeah, it was uh, one of my favorite favorite memories, and I really got to connect with some of the people. I think, uh, I think, uh, you know, going back to being a third culture kid, that was my first like 
realization that I was a third culture kid because I was now in an international school full of third culture kids. Whereas in the States and in in Singapore, I was just fitting in, fitting in with local, right. With locals, with local crowd. And now I'm in a full, full international school. My friends were from like Sweden, Norway, Indonesia, like, you know, the U S South Africa, whatever, France, Spain, Hmm. you name it, like everywhere in the world. At that time, I mean, because you left Taiwan when you were nine? Yes. Or, right. So you never really like fully, deeply developed like a Taiwanese kind of identity or culture. Uh, No. I, I think yeah. the older I get, the more I realize that I am not. Yeah. Um, when I was younger, I used to like argue like, yeah, I'm Taiwanese, man. My, ta- right. my passport's Taiwanese. Like I'm not going to be anything other than Taiwanese. And I was proud as, yeah. as, as one should be, you know, like as Taiwanese people usually are. Right. Um. But, you know, in Shanghai, I realized I'm not that Taiwanese. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that, about kind of that culture shock, or at least, you know, you said you learned a lot about Chinese culture. So what were some of your kind of big takeaways or some interesting things that you, you know, realized or noticed there? Uh, well, one of the cool things about, about my school was that, you know, all the international schools actually in Shanghai would take an annual trip every year with the class. Mm. The class would take a different trip every year, and this trip had a theme to each year. Oh, cool. So a couple of years we were exploring the culture of China or like community service or one year it was just for fun. Um, so like through uh, one of the, the two, one community service and exploring China, I went, I went to Guizhou, which is one of the poorer oh, provinces yeah. in China. But it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Yeah. Um, the nature. Lots of mountains. If you yep. look at the, if you look at the, the build, they have like the mountains there. Um, mm-hmm. And we, we hiked, like, I would say probably four hours into the mountains to go to stay at this, like, little village in the middle of the mountain where the, nothing else is accessible. Everything right. you have to walk. With, like, minorities, too. With minorities. They're not going to be Han, they're, Chinese. No, they're just, you just, like, cutting rice, like, you're uh, harvesting rice, and, like, you're making your own food, you're planting, you're farming, and you're living in places where they don't have, like, electricity or, yeah. like, uh, hot water. It was kind of a really... Unique eye-opening experience, experience. Yeah, yeah like to, to see how privileged we we really are and grow up and to kind of not take that for granted yeah so how long did you stay there uh it was usually a week okay. it was usually because i saw uh maybe like four or five days wow so you were like four or five days up in the mountains with like yeah so homestaying yeah so it's like um four or five days in total maybe i think uh it would be like first day arrival uh you might stay at a hotel the first day and then the second day you start to trek mm. so you stay there usually like two nights maybe yeah my my recollection is not very good what other uh places did you were you able to uh explore in china oh man uh you know outside of school i i've gone to man multiple multiple places oh, yeah. and that, that comes with work which we can talk about later okay. but i i've been to multiple different places like uh for school we went to like hangzhou we went to guizhou guiling beijing uh we went to um so like Sichuan, like all of these places. Oh yeah, like Chengdu. Chengdu, yeah. So work took me to a lot of the, a lot of these places as well. Okay. When I got older. Right. Much smaller cities. Right, right, right. Okay. Yeah. So we are going towards the end of your high school, this international high school. Yeah. Like really kind of exploring the world and realizing your multicultural kind of identity. Yeah. Um, so after you graduate high school, what happened after that? So deciding on a college was a very difficult thing for me. Uh, like I said earlier, I had been decently good basketball player. But first of all, let me put a little foreground there. I went to a very small international school. And at the time, the competition 
was international schools. So our league was full of international schools. Uh, usually these are, you know, third culture kids who are well privileged. Mm -hmm. uh, so there aren't, the competition level is not as great. Uh, and obviously school sizes are smaller that plays a part in it as well. Mm -hmm. There are some great players like Joe Alexander. He went to ISB, which is, uh, he, he was drafted, I think by the Bucks. Mm -hmm. uh, and so there are, few good players hmm. but very 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 very, very few. few yeah um at, at that level um so i was killing right i was killing in high school and so my goal was to play college that was like the first thing in my mind the first priority was to be able to play ball like i said i'm not i was not i was never a super student but as i got older and i realized the importance of being a student athlete where the student comes first mm. my grades came up i had mm. a period of time where my my grades were so bad i almost got kicked out of the team and the school okay uh so then that kind of wake me, up call yeah kicked me in the ass and yep. made, made me make sure i had to get my my, my stuff done so you can play so i can play yeah for um, sure so the the passion of basketball helped me get better as a student um, that's awesome and so it got me to ending up being about a b plus average student hmm. which is yeah it's decent. good it's decent. yeah and so i was looking at colleges based on where i might be able to play at the time there was not much international recruiting especially for small international schools like mine in a in a league like mine uh so i had sent tapes out to some schools to coaches uh and i wrote them emails obviously i got no replies <laughs> um uh so I, I ended up applying for my my own the schools that i wanted to mm. go to and they were mostly in southern california mm. with the exception of one which is uh ubc Vancouver. Oh yeah, British Columbia. I've yeah. been to that campus. It's yeah. beautiful. A lot of my friends went there, so yeah. that was a very easy way to go. My coach at the time was Canadian, was friends with the coach there. Okay. So he said, "Yo, I can like get you on the team. Get you on the team. Hook you up." I was yeah. like, "I don't want to take. I don't want to take no given from nobody." Right. So I ended up going to Southern California. Oh wow. Uh, which later was. In my first year, I very much regretted that shit. Oh, oh shit, really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You put your foot down. And I put my foot down. In and your I, own mouth. Yeah, that was not good. It was, it was not a great decision at the time. But like, I, you oh, know, wow. look, looking back at it, it was a great decision. But I wanted to make it on my own. I wanted to prove to myself that I was good enough and not needing the not help. Not getting of, handouts or yeah, something. Yeah, I, don't want, I didn't want a handout. I wanted to prove that I was, I was the best and I was good. Mm. Yeah. So I ended up going to uh, University of Redlands. Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, in Southern California, right by Riverside. So yep. shout out U of R. Mm -hmm. um, first year I got there, I uh, went to try out for the team and that was the biggest culture shock I've had uh, oh, wow. I've had in my life. The competition level was way different. The level of play was way different. I was a scorer in high school. Mm. I would be able to get 20 to 30 shots a game if I wanted to. Wow, okay. Um, and I would be able to get 20 to 30 points a game if I wanted mm. to. And obviously, as I said earlier, five six Asian, mm -hmm. um, fast, not a great shooter at the time, and so I obviously played point guard going to college, right. and that was a huge transition to where people were giving me the ball, and I didn't. Coach was telling me not to give it up, right. to where I was just giving it up all day, oh. and I was getting posted up, I was getting out muscled, out hustled, and skill wise, they were better than me. One of the biggest impacts that had on me was at any tryouts. First, you go to the weight room. You hit the weights, you see what you're capable of. People were warming up on the bench press with plates I had never done in my life. <laughs> <laughs> they were like, yo, uh, let's get 10, 10 quick reps in. Like, I was like, yo, hold on, I can't do one, bro. <laughs> and you know, like, you, you know, like with, without having that experience, like the bench press was like, you know, when you push it all the way, you push it down right here and you're good and you push it back up. Right. But in the States, 
you touch your chest. Yeah, exactly. You, you bounce you, it. You bounce it off your chest. Right. I put it on my chest. I couldn't push it back up. <laughs> <laughs> like Jerry's dying over there. I was like, Someone man, help somebody help me, bro. <laughs> <laughs> so that, like, right after that, I was like, yo, I'm done. Like, I'm, I can't compete, man. Like, I, I can't wow. even warm up. I can't even, like, you know, hit their warm up sets at the time. Yeah, right. And so that was me being very, very naive. And, and this is going to play into how I got into my career. But, like, mm. That was a huge, huge part of the lesson I learned, and which is why I regretted it so much because I wish I would, uh, at the time, I wished I would have gone to the UBC and mm. just taken the handout and gotten a chance to prove myself. Yeah, right. Because I wasn't a problem. It wasn't a problem for me on the court because mm. offensively I was fine. Mm -hmm. uh, defensively, it was a struggle, but I could have mm. learned. But I just wasn't able to get myself that chance to do so. But uh, I actually had the transfer papers filled out that year. Wow. Uh, I was so homesick. I came back for Thanksgiving. The first year for like three days. Went back where? I, I, came, I went back to Shanghai. Oh, Shanghai. Okay. Yeah, because my parents were still there at still, the time. Okay. Um, so I came back and I was just like, man, I'm not having a great time. People were emailing me, sending me messages like, yo, you can do this. Like, we got you. Right. Like, if anybody's going to do it, it's going to be you. I'm like, oh, thanks, guys. But like, it really is tough. I'm just tough. like depressed here. Yeah. I'm, I, would, I felt like I had to hang up my the laces, you know, like I had to hang yeah. them up. And, and I was like, oh, man, everything I knew was basketball. And... Mm. This is taken away like that. Like right. I was the hooper. First day, pretty yeah. much. Yeah, for like first week. Like yeah. I was like, man, this is tough. Like, yeah, so I, I had I had a really tough time the first couple of months in Redlands. Mm. Uh, getting adjusted and, and uh, living on my own. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, you know, having basketball. One thing like my sanctuary taken away from me. Not mm. really, but like you but know, the, the my dream. Goal, yeah, mean, the dream yeah, was taken yeah, away. Yeah. So sure. I, so that that hit me pretty hard. Yeah. Yeah. What happened? How did you make it through? I mean, did you give up? You continue going or? Uh, I think I think uh, I met friends. Mm. I met friends and we hooped together every day. Because it was a small school, I used to hoop with the, the guys on the team as well. Being able to hoop was good enough for me. Mm. Uh, on the team or not on the team was a bonus, mm. right? Like, uh, and I know, I and, and I ha I'm not really like, a, I'm a dreamer, but I'm, I'm not. I'm realistic. So mm -hmm. I knew that if I made the team, I would have been a bench warmer. I would have been a practice player. I would have had to do all of that practice through two a days, three a days, and, and I would have been on the bench and saw garbage time. Uh, for those of you who know, California has a lot of distractions. And right. I, was, I was happy with those distractions and playing pickup hoops. <laughs> I did not want to use the rest of my time, you know, you know, I didn't want to use all of my time being on the team and not playing. Right. So I ended up just playing hoops every day with my friends and doing the other stuff. So that is where you kind of gave up your, your professional dreams anyways. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, yeah, absolutely. I, I, although it did teach me to become a much better basketball player, it did mm. teach me to become a much better point guard. And I think if the last couple of years I really tried, I probably, I think I could have made it. Right. I think I could have made it. Yeah. There were younger guys coming up that I was hooping with every day and I thought I could take his spot. I got him. Yeah. No problem. Right. Yeah. Right. 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 So, but I, you know, I was happy with my life at that point in time then. So then I was like, ah, it's not a big deal. Right. Okay. Yeah. yeah you just keep, continue to adapt. Yeah. Just adapted. Uh, got to, got to meet some really, really good friends who I still talk to today as well. Mm. Um, trying to plan a trip to see them. One of them actually came to live with me in Taiwan for three months. Oh, nice. So we were yeah. in Shanghai and in Taiwan. So one of my really good friends. So you ended up uh, living out in Redlands for four years or so? Yeah, four years, four years. Uh, I was lucky because I have cousins who lived in Newport. Mm. So the first year when I was very homesick, I would go there every weekend. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah. And uh, the, the, my friend from Singapore, who I mentioned, went to USC. He lived in Westwood. 
Okay. So I would go out go there out as to well. Westwood and so I was actually almost never on campus uh, right. on the weekends in my freshman year. So yeah. Did you have an illegal bite? I did not. I have a very legal, uh, very legal car. <laughs> very very legal car. Uh, illegal tint, but very legal car. <laughs> Yeah, the tint laws are pretty strict in the states because I feel like in Taiwan everyone is tinted like uh, really dark. Ta Taiwan, you can have your front windshield completely black. Yeah, yeah, it's well, not. You a can't problem. do that in the states. No, you can't. Yeah, it always trips me out when I'm here. I'm like, is yeah. that legal? It's super dark. Yeah, yeah, but it's legal here, right? It's or super is legal, it just yeah. like no? It, it, I don't. Area. I don't know if there's a law telling you <laughs> you just can't. Yeah, don't even. Yeah, they haven't thought about it yet. Yeah, I don't think so. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm about. I'm actually about to go get my car tinted darker. Actually, oh yeah, <laughs> I was like, man, the front windshield needs some black. <laughs> it's getting it's getting sunny out, man. Right, 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 right. True that. Actually, yeah, for sure. So after four years living out in Southern California, having fun, getting distracted, yeah. hooping it up as well, having fun with that. Yeah. What happened after that? Uh, I actually came back to Taiwan. Well, I went back to Shanghai for a couple of months. Uh, like I said, I'm Taiwanese, so I had to mm. wait for my military service. Oh, so I spent okay. a couple of months waiting to be called up. Uh, so I ended up joining, I think, end of 2014. Okay, I, I enlisted December 15, 2014. So at that time, you know, because the uh, conscription always changes. So like, was it one year at that time, or yeah? So for me, nowadays it's like what, like four months? Yeah, or something? four months if you're like 94 and later. Right. Uh, but I'm 91, so I got a year. I did the alternative uh, military service. For mm. those of you who don't know, it's uh, it's not actual guns and mm. weapons. It's uh, civil service more so. But I was a drill sergeant, so I was living in the military campus. So when the, the rookies or the new batch of soldiers are coming in, we take them through military training or we take, take them through the basic training and then we send them off to their units. Mm. So that was my job. After like basically having this very international life, just, you know, all the way going up until you graduate from college and then finally you come back to Taiwan and you just jump straight into the military. Yeah. That feels to me like that would be somewhat of a culture shock as well. Uh, it was definitely difficult. Uh, I chose officer training. So I did, I did, I was an officer. So I, uh, we had to do a two month officer training as opposed to three weeks for regular I don't even know what the term is, but mm. regular soldiers. So the two months was very tough. Uh, mm. People yelling at you every day, getting tell you to get in line, put your hands down, put your hands on your pants, like telling you what to eat, how to eat, and not to make a noise when you eat. Like you can't clink your chopsticks or you get yelled at or, you know, stand up and eat. And there's like proper ways to peel a banana. Like you have to peel it this way, like, and then you have to eat it this way. And I was like, man, this is, this is excessive, bro. Like <laughs> I... I know how to eat a banana. <laughs> right. But it's um, the military. You got to yeah. do that banana correctly. Yeah. So I remember when my dad came to see me at our camp during basic training. It was like okay. three weeks in. When I saw them, I almost cried. I was just like, oh, man, this is not fun. I had my phone was taken. Like, I don't, you don't have a phone during basic training. You, have, you get to use it for five minutes a day. The first mm. day I called my parents, I like legit like dropped a tear. Wow. And I was like, man, this sucks. Where was your camp? It was in Taizong, Chenggongling, okay. one of the more famous camps in, in Taiwan. Oh. Yeah, so uh, it was a very good experience for me because uh, I got to meet a lot of cool Taiwanese people, one of which I hang out with almost every day now. And I got to learn a little bit about kind of the real world, mm. uh, you know, kind of what adulting looks like, you know, you know mm. follow following orders despite what you think and, you know, making a good decision, doing things the right way, mm. et cetera, et cetera. Discipline. Yeah, discipline for sure. Yeah. Uh, time discipline, responsibility, um, right. stuff like that. 
Okay. I think that was, uh, you know, a lot of people, uh, even I said this, I thought people think that the military in Taiwan is a waste of time, which I thought so too. Right. Uh, which I can still argue that it might be, but you still learn some things. And I, I mm. think that, I think that was important for me. Yeah. What do you think about that? Do you think Taiwan should increase, you know, the military service back up from four months, like up to a year? I know there's, you know, always, of course, always discussion and, and controversy about that. And then Another add-on to that is I also heard some conversations about the idea of females joining something kind of like an Israeli model, right, where everyone has to serve. What, what do you think about that, having gone through it and being at this age? Um, I'm not very political, mm. but uh, my personal opinion uh, with disregard to anything else is just that I don't think Taiwan is ever going to go to war. And if we do, there's only one person. There's only one country that you know, we would be at war with sure. and, and that country that, that we go to war with, we're going to lose no matter how, no, no matter how well we do. Yeah. It's just or a how, matter of time. How right? well, well prepped we are. I don't see a necessity in military for, for us personally, mm. because we are kind of a trade hub in a way. Mm -hmm. uh, we export stuff. Uh, yeah. Our, our business is in tech and exports and, and, and some imports, some stuff. Military doesn't really do that much good for us because we can't fight nobody. We can't threaten nobody with our military. So, mm. um, and with, with regards to the females enlisting, uh, there are females in the army and mm. there are, they have female camps. Uh, I think, you know, it, it's definitely a good thing to have obviously national defenses, but mandatory, I think it's, it's very different. Uh, mm. mandatory and much like the states is where you where you sign up and it's it's very different because benefits are different benefits are different and professionalism is different when you mm. have to do something yeah you don't do it that well exactly uh, when you want to do something you do it well so i think it if it you know that policy changes a little bit or if you know we not necessarily model it over you know after what the u.s has done mm. but something in that direction would make your military more efficient and powerful potentially mm -hmm. in, in my opinion and so i think uh for me it's not necessary to do mandatory right uh, especially because when i even when i was there it was pretty basic and like it wasn't like the greatest world-class uh, fighting yeah there wasn't know? like yeah. there wasn't much you could learn from about the military you know like it's very basic and so even if these guys are gone back to their regular lives and something does come they won't be ready exactly they won't be ready yeah. so or willing sometimes. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. So <laughs> like, you know, those who will, those who are capable and willing to leave the country, they will leave. Yeah, 100%. Uh, and those, the rest who are, who are there, they not going to want to do it. I know. And I don't think there's many people here who are like itching for a fight, you know? No, yeah. <laughs> I don't think so. Like, yeah, exactly. I'm not going to, I'm not going to hold a gun and point it at somebody else's head or whatever. And mm -hmm. um, so I, I think maybe if like the alternative service, like what I did, what they do is they, they help like people in police stations, they help police, they help fire trucks, they help the firemen or they help like the library public entities. Mm. I think that is helpful. I think that was a great strategy because right. it helps people in their daily lives and their jobs. And I think it's serving the community. I think that's great. Yeah. Um, and it also acts as kind of a job because you go to it from Monday to Friday, whenever it's open or you, you get on a schedule. Mm. So it gets you in rhythm for adulting, mm. for life, mm -hmm. for getting a job, understanding how it works. So I think that that was great. I think that was a good kind of way to go about it. How does this alternative service work? Is it a privilege thing or? Uh, so it's called TDIE. Basically it's for people who physically cannot okay. go to the military or, you know, they have some kind you of condition. Exemption. Yeah, exemption, some type of physical exemption or mental or whatever. Uh, if you have mental, you probably don't have to do the other one either. So, okay. but like, so generally it is, but mm. you can apply when you apply for it as a fit soldier, mm. then you would have to do a 15 extra day period, uh, which I did. I see. Um, 
And so it's not too difficult to do. So I think that was a good idea. I think that was a good idea. I think it helps the, if it helps the community, it helps the people of Taiwan and right, serves, exactly. serves the community is good. Yeah. yeah. Kind of kill two birds with one stone. Exactly. Right? While you're training, give back to yeah. the society. Yeah. You help people. Like uh, if you go to the airport, you, you look at T TSA, there are people wearing these brown button ups. Okay. Those are guys in the alternative service. I see. If you go to the fire station, the police station, anybody that's wearing a brown button up with name tags on these sides, they're serving. All right. So that was... Uh, 2014 to 15. 2014 to 2015, you were a drill sergeant? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I was yelling at people all day. They used to call me, they used to, keep in mind these are local local people, right? Right. right. They used to call me Captain America because- <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. Cause, cause like- This I, English speaking- Yeah, this English speaking dude coming back from California. Screaming at this motherfucker. <laughs> like, oh, Captain America, uh, when, when's lunch? I was like, when I tell you to be, man, <laughs> sit back down. <laughs> Oh, that's hilarious! Yeah, what a weird job. Yeah, it was it was it was kind of cool. Like, it must I, be fun, man. I mean, it was kind of fun because, like, you know, all you do is talk shit to people. <laughs> you just talk down on them like you're a big boss. Exactly. <laughs> Did I say you can eat yet? <laughs> yeah, prepared you for the Laoban life. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> wow okay so after the military service 2015 what happened after that uh then i uh actually i was planning on going to japan to move to japan for a job which i currently do now hmm. so my mom's company at the time was uh my family company at the time was uh in partnership with a japanese company and we were sourcing from japan hmm. and they needed somebody there who spoke English and Chinese to handle that side of the business. Okay. And so they wanted to send me out there. Uh, and I said, okay, I've not always dreamed about living in Japan, but uh, I have a lot of appreciation for what Japan brings, the culture, mm. the, the car culture, the snowboarding. I had, I had it all planned out. I was like, I'm gonna buy, a, I'm gonna buy an R34 GTR. I'm gonna get a <laughs> snowboard. I'm gonna work and I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go Enjoy boarding. Enjoy my life yeah, in it's Japan. It's gonna be awesome. Yeah. But then that kind of fell through. I actually, right before I flew, I, I went to Shanghai for three days just to like get my things, see my friends and say bye. Halfway through like day two, uh, my mom calls and says, hey, they found somebody locally in, in Tokyo who's Taiwanese and speaks Japanese, English and Chinese. Oh, damn. And I was like, <laughs> so I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa, this is like right, be you yeah, were literally like, prepping to I was prepping. get out there. I was prepping. I was like, yo, mom, let me go to Shanghai, get my things. Let me let me come back and I'm going to go. So, okay. And so while I was in Shanghai, I get the call. So no, that's crazy. So uh, yeah, because the Japanese partner has somebody in their, in their pipeline. Right. Yeah, so that happened. Uh, All right. Not much we could do about it. And there's obviously a much better candidate who speaks three languages. So, I mean, there's no resentment there. There's yeah. no, and I get to move to Shanghai. So, right, right, right. So, at that point, I was there for three days. I had three days worth of clothes. I was staying at my friend's house and I ended up staying for like four months. Okay. Uh, so, so, I was borrowing, <laughs> I was living at my friend's house with his mom and I was borrowing his like brother's clothes and like I was just living and looking for a job. Huh. And so, once I found a job, I told him, give me like two weeks to come back and get my stuff. And all of my stuff in Taiwan, I brought back to Shanghai. I looked for an apartment and I started my first job, which was uh, I was a headhunter for international teachers. Oh, really? So I am a little bit aware of this educational yeah. industry. Right. 
Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. So for like these kind of elite international high schools? or Yeah. So like all of these international schools, they're looking for first language Eng- as English uh, speakers. They're looking for, you know, anything from English teachers to math teachers to science teachers to gym teachers or even like language schools. Like we've seen like... Uh, like a Bushibang. Yeah, like uh, English First, which is one of very like, right EF, right EF. They were one of the clients in Shanghai, mm. um, so we would uh, Skype call these people from, from all over the world, all these English speaking countries. Yeah, and we would interview them and then send their resume. If they're good enough, we send their resume and we hire them and for for these companies. Right. Um, but I was very bad at that job. Oh really? I was very bad at that job. I really hated it. Uh, <laughs> it was a very good first experience. Like I really did not enjoy it, but. For me, like I wanted to see it through. I only signed a one-year contract. It was my first job. I wanted to honor it. Um, but the department I got hired into was actually shut down like six months through. Uh, it was a trial, like it was a test department, huh. and it didn't work out very well. So the department got shut down. I got moved to another department, and I was doing horribly. If you guys haven't been in a headhunting situation, you kind of got to work up your like network of people that you have that are qualified. Your for, list. Yeah, your list of people that you can call, right? Yeah. Like, I had to, obviously the first like three months you're doing that, building up good enough candidates to to offer to these clients. Mm. And uh, I spent like six months doing that and then I got fired. (laughs) (laughs) So I made like two total placements. Like I I, like got two people jobs and, and it was like, I had hired them and I got fired and then they came in after I got hired. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so at that point, at that point I realized, man, this is really not for me. I don't want to sit in an office, like looking at my desk, interviewing people, asking him the same questions every day. Right. It's really not for me. You know the saying like, do what you love and never have to work a day in your life. Mm. Um, I uh, I have a different opinion to that now, but at the time I was like, hey, let's give this a try, right? Mm. So I wanted to uh, bring it back to kind of my college days where I didn't get to play. I wanted to establish my own academy. It was the long-term goal, the mm. dream. Right mm-hmm. now, the new dream okay. is now to establish a basketball academy okay. for people like me, people who grow up like me and have aspirations to become college hoopers or pro hoopers. And to I, get some proper training. To get some proper training, to, to have somebody lead the way, to be scouted, to be able to be well prepared. Like I said, I wasn't ready for the gym part, the weight right. part. I, need, I, would, I would help them get ready. I've seen it. Mm-hmm. I see what they do. Um, I can hire people to help me with it. I, I have a lot of connections in the basketball world and mm-hmm. at that point in time and I knew a lot of people so I thought you know I would try to like work my way to that goal to open mm. to open an academy to help people who've come from very similar footsteps and have very similar aspirations mm. which is a lot of young boys and girls nowadays yep definitely um because of that i got into the basketball industry Uh, i was with no experience and so i wanted to first become a coach so i had a friend who was coaching uh, at a sports academy who which did a lot of like fencing like badminton golf basketball soccer all Mm. of that so i went to interview as a basketball coach but it was a very very polarizing experience for me because uh in my mind i'm coaching extremely high level talented basketball players and teaching them how to be better and teaching them how to get to a higher level of basketball. But what I saw was a class full of children hmm. who don't know how to play basketball. Right. And it's more of a daycare yeah. than a true was, academy. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't do it. I was like, this is not where, this is not the direction I want to go. So thank you, but no thank you. The boss who interviewed me came to talk to me hmm. said, hey, listen, our academy is has just signed a deal with NBA China to help promote and run the junior NBA program in China. 
China, which was just starting at the time. And this was around, I would say, October of 2016. And I was like, that sounds fantastic. That's exactly mm-hmm. the kind of thing I wanted to do. So I was like, okay, sign me up. Wow. And he was like, okay, you can come in in November, but we have this tournament we have to put on in December. And I would like for you to help me get started first. I was like, okay. So I worked for like two weeks before I even like, before I even actually got into the company. And so I put together a list. I secured a venue, which was an international school that I played against. Mm. Um, I secured a venue. Uh, I called up my friends who were coaches at different clubs. They're bringing their clubs. And we started like two or three age groups eight teams in each and i just put this tournament together it was very weird because me an entry-level employee was running point and i was telling managers to do things i was delegating to them right i was like hey you need to work on the music hey you need to run, work on the rundown became a drill sergeant yeah. <laughs> yeah and i was like am i doing this right because right. I've, i haven't had experience doing this before yeah right um you just got thrown into it. I got thrown but into even it. even that company, right? They just signed a deal, so they didn't really know what they were doing they did, either. They didn't really know yeah. what, what was going on at the time. Wow. And they had nobody with the experience in basketball like I did, and especially because I grew up there. Yeah. I was in Shanghai. I grew up there, had connections, and I knew who would be down to play, who wouldn't, and how much was to charge, and where to look for for venues if I needed to run a tournament. Yeah, you knew the ecosystem. Yeah. Well, you grew up in that. Yeah, so like I was, I was one of those kids. Yep, so I knew exactly. it. So I knew it. So I hosted my first tournament a month into, or we hosted our first tournament a month into my job at this company called Sika. Sika. It's okay. called Sika. Okay. Uh, it's called Sika Academy. The NBA people came in and they, they really enjoyed it. They thought it was well done. I had to MC because I'm bilingual. So like I did English MC and Chinese MC at the same time. Wow. I ran the event. I talked to all the coaches. We had a coaches meeting. Like talked to them. I organized refs, everything. Yeah, it was, it was very cool. Um, How old are these kids? We did... Uh, I think U10, U13, and U14, or U15, something okay. like that. Okay. Something like I that. I see. All, all like younger and teenage kids. Yeah, so because of that, uh, a couple months later, I got a call from one of the guys at uh, NBA China. Mm. He said, like, hey, do you want to have lunch with me? So I went to have lunch with him, and he offered me a job. Mm. So he was like, hey, we, we need you. We need somebody like you in the NBA to help run this thing, the junior NBA. Uh, so I ended up going from the partner of the NBA to working for the NBA and, yeah. and managing the partner. Whoa, right, 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 right. Managing the Sika Academy. Stuff. Yeah, yeah. So, oh, I, wow. so I went from dope. like an entry level employee and I jumped ship from like, you know, party B to party A. Which is crazy because you literally almost just left that company. I mean, just yeah, I almost walked out. The wind, yeah, because I was like, yeah, I don't want to coach. Like, I don't. I'm not gonna do this. But it turned into this like crazy yeah. golden opportunity. Yeah, it was. It was amazing. Um, wow. Yeah, man. Uh, yeah. So at that point, I was like, yes, let's do this. Uh, yeah. When I moved back to Shanghai, I had talked to my dad about like career goals. And I told him that I wanted to do basketball. I was like, I, I'm going to work for the NBA. Any basketball player stream, right? Mm-hmm. And he was like, all right, give you three years. I was there in a year. Yeah. It was a, it was okay. crazy. He oh. was like, wow, you, you got there quick. I was like, <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't really know how this happened. <laughs> exactly. Oh. Like three years, his dream will be gone. Yeah. He'll come work for me. Yeah. I was like, I don't really know how this happened, but uh, I'm really, really happy that it did. Wow. Um, so your dad was supportive as well. Oh yeah. Um, you know, like they, I don't think they ever expected me to live in Taiwan or like even take over their companies or mm. whatever it is um they wanted me to they wanted me to do Live what your I, life yeah do what i wanted and and you know enjoy it that's cool yeah yeah which is you know you can't say that a lot about a lot of a lot of parents exactly especially taiwanese parents exactly it doesn't happen yeah yeah, yeah. 
So uh, that I think maybe because we're a little bit more international as a family, so uh, that was very, very, very appreciated on my part. Wow! Wow! Okay, so how how long did you end up working for NBA China? About two and a half years. Two and a half years. About two and a half years. Uh, yeah, you, you'll see a lot of things were two and a half years in my my stories, but yeah, about two and a half years. It was a uh, yeah. It was a really, really cool experience. I got to meet a lot of NBA greats, a lot of NBA players. One of the most vivid memories was uh, I went to an event with Jason Richardson. We got in the same, like, I was in the van with him because I was running the event. So I was giving him the rundown. But Jason Richardson, he used to live in Michigan. Mm. And he used to live down the street from where I lived in the cul-de-sac. Oh, no way. In yeah. Troy. Yeah, in Troy. Like, he had a house, like, in this, like, suburb area, and it was, like, on the other side. Oh, wow. You might have sprayed water on his car. Maybe. <laughs> he might have been the guy that got out of the car. <laughs> that so might have been him. You. That might have been him. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it was cool. So we got to connect a little bit. Um, I met Steph. I met Jeremy Lin. Um, you wow, know. and that was before Steph became Steph. Oh, maybe not. Uh, no, Steph, no, was, that was, already Steph was already Steph. <laughs> yeah, Steph right, was right, already right, right, huge. Right, right. Yeah. Um, uh, met Jay Lynn. Mm. Got, got to meet Dominique Wilkins. Oh, the legend. Yeah, we, we did, did some events with like Jay Will, White Chocolate. Oh, wow. T-Mac. Yeah, all of these cool players. I got to meet like Chris Middleton. Came okay. to visit our office one time. The Admiral, David Robinson. Like it, it was really cool. Like I mean, I can't say that I have had a lot of personal experience with them, and I'm mm. not trying to brag about it or anything, but it was right. really, really cool for a basketball player yeah. to see like the people Your he heroes, watched. Yeah, man. Yeah. It was, just, like, it was amazing. Oh, damn. Yeah, That's was super cool. Yeah. When did China open up to the NBA? I mean, was it at that time or were there kind of some, you know, things going on in uh, the meanwhile? If I'm not wrong, it started like late 90s or like 2000 something. Okay. Uh, that was like right before Yao, right? Right. And then when Yao comes in, it, it just explodes. It blows up. And NBA China is now probably the biggest operation for the NBA outside of, you know, the U.S. States, right. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Uh, the money that it brings in is wild. It's ridiculous. It's wild. Right. And they just sell sponsorships and they don't even, they host events and, sp and sell sponsorships. Exactly. It's, yeah, it's a great business. It's a huge business and it's, uh, it was really, really, really an honor and a pleasure to like try to like work there. So what are your, you know, kind of greatest memories from that job? To be honest, it was, uh, it was a tough job. Big company, dream company. Mm -hmm. uh, as a young, young adult, like young man, entry level position, you have to do everything mm -hmm. and you have to grind and you have to, on, in the summer when the NBA off season is around, like players will come. We, we have like 50, 60 players come to China in the span of the two months in the summer. Your schedule is packed. Like you're taking them to like meet and greets, like camps, like doing all this stuff and you have to plan all of it. So I was on the road like three and a half weeks out of four during those months. And that's why I explored China so much. I see. So I went to, I went to so many different cities and so many different places I would otherwise have never been without that job, oh, without nice. that opportunity. It was extremely tiring. My friends never saw me. But at the time I was young and I thought, you know what, this is a time to grind. And if I want to get somewhere in my life, this is a time I got to do now. Yeah. Like I got to put in the work first, right? right? And gain the respect and the recognition in order for me to move forward. So I figured, you know, like 25 years old, 26 years old, 24, 25 years old, whatever it was, you know, put in the work now. Yeah, you got the energy at yeah, that time. Put it in the work now. This is the right time to put in the work because if you put in the work too late, yeah. it's not going to be, it's not going to be it. Exactly. So, um, and it's your love, man. It's, yeah. It's basketball. So you, you get to just jump right into it at the very highest level. Yeah, and that actually is why I say I, uh, I've changed my mind about do what you love and never have to work a day in, in your life again. I don't think that's true. Hmm. I think you always have to work. 
but doing <laughs> what you love makes it a lot easier. Mm, you know what I mean? That. Work is work, but yep. you if you if you love what you do, then you know it'll make it a little bit easier for you. Right. Whether it's real or you kinda of trick your own mind yeah, to, yeah. to like it, right? Yeah. <laughs> Either way you yeah, gotta figure for sure. it out, right? For sure. <laughs> After uh working for NBA China and really helping to kind of expand the youth market, right? And yeah. that that was your Yeah, we promoted the game. We uh we hosted leagues everywhere uh in China. We uh in the summer we went to do what's called a TTT which um which is a teacher training. Hmm. So we would go to certain cities and provinces and public school teachers would, would come. This was a deal signed with the government uh Ministry of Education of China and we would go there we host a camp bring coaches from the states. Uh we have a MBA uh junior MBA like handbook where lessons and mm. drills and stuff were, were taught how to teach being a student athlete um, mm. in china the game is a little bit different there are pro teams and there are youth pro teams and if you're any good you're going to the youth pro team and mm. you will not be really attending school like these people they tend to sometimes lose love for the game because it becomes a job at so young yeah and it becomes like militaristic training exactly right? exactly yeah. so uh, we're trying to bring more love and joy to the game and just allow people to love the game out of their own will you know uh, right right and so we're trying to bring that student athlete mentality into china and change the culture of the game and just raise more awareness about the game and so yeah we did a lot of that it was really satisfying mm. uh, very satisfying and it's very rewarding to see mm. like where it's grown and to see that we were one of the first people to do it mm. uh, there Mm -hmm. so that was that was really really cool but the traveling and the the long hours and stuff sometimes took a toll on me right so it was really tiring but it was incredibly rewarding as yeah well. for sure for sure and i think it set me up it set yeah. me up pretty good for you know my future endeavors right exactly having that experience yeah yeah I, I mean i still talk to some of the people from the nba right now mm. um, and they were like yo when are you coming back man and i was like i don't know <laughs> <laughs> i don't know if i could do that again right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly i was like man i was tired bro <laughs> <laughs> yeah so you think it's like a, a young man's game you think well i, I think uh i think i have further ambitions mm. i i've worked in big corporations now and mm -hmm. i know what it takes and i don't know if that's what i want for me mm. uh, i don't want to i want to be able to you know in this day and age everybody's working from home and everybody's working you know off the clock on the clock there's no clock anymore yeah seriously uh, i don't i would rather not have a clock as well because mm. you know no matter how much you get paid you know if you don't have the time to spend your money or, or enjoy your freedom it's not really worth it for me so i would mm. i would like to be a little bit more flexible in my work Right. Uh, I would like to put it to a point, get it, get myself to a point where I potentially am overseeing a couple of different companies or businesses that I can do for myself and, mm -hmm. and manage, mm -hmm. um, but not really sit at the desk and do the job all day. And whereas I can like be on the go and, and manage. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of where I see myself. And that's probably the biggest reason why I don't want to go back to a desk job or mm -hmm. go back to a big corporation where you kind of grind three, five years to wait for the next promotion and right. another three, five years, another promotion exactly um, climbing the ladder essentially so why did you <clears throat> leave uh there were some there were some human resource and contract things that couldn't be worked out mm. so when i actually got to the nba i was still in contract by seeker academy but what happened with that was they couldn't hire me outright because i was taiwanese uh, mm. and they were using a human resources company for some for entry-level employees they wanted locals 
okay, uh, yeah. for documentation purposes or whatever. Yep. Um, and so what they did was they signed a contract with my company, Seeker Academy, and they were paying them my salary. And then Seeker Academy was paying me, but I was working for them. Right. So the, the situation was very, very complicated for me. Uh, travel benefits were very different because I was still under the first company. So I would go travel with my MBA colleagues and they would be in hotels and I would be in a very different hotel. Oh wow! So shout out to Leo, one of my one of my colleagues at MBA. He used to because they would get each person get a room. He would get a double, and he would split like he would get two beds, and he would be like, "Yo, come stay with me." Don't you know? Oh, that's dope. Yeah, so it was it was very nice uh, of him. So I appreciate that. Shout yeah, out to Leo. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, they were staying at like Marriotts and, and obviously big companies, and they have right. deals with like IHG hotels and stuff like that. So for them, it was good. And I was staying at like local hotels sometimes, and being Taiwanese, some of the local hotels within the budget. They don't take foreigners in China, mm-hmm. so like I couldn't get in sometimes, and I was like, "Hey, you know, like where am I gonna go?" Oh, man. So, so there were a lot of issues in that situation where it made it very complicated for me, and the work was very tiring. And right. When my contract came up, they still wanted to keep me. They couldn't hire me outright, and this is all because of the Taiwanese passport. This was all because of them using this human resource, this human resource company that was hiring for their entry level employees. Okay. Um, but- they couldn't like just terminate that and then start fresh. Well, or? they they use that for all of their employees. Oh. O- only the executive level employees are hired by MBA in the U.S. and right. they were on expat packages yes. in China. Right. But the local, their local hires. There are a few Taiwanese people, but they were either American passport holders or they're higher up than mm, I was. Okay. I was very entry level at the time. Yeah. And so it was very difficult for them, and it wasn't gonna be. It wasn't me who was gonna pioneer a change in the entire company's mm-hmm. policy, right? Mm-hmm. It wasn't that important. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so. Uh, they couldn't, they wanted me to stay, but they couldn't offer me a full-time, like, actual uh, headcount. I and see. I was like, man, you know what? I think I'm going to have to pass. Okay. So I ended up going back to the first company. Oh, uh, you went back to Seeker Academy. Yeah, because the boss came to me. He was like, hey, you know what? I'll offer you more money. I'll make you a director. You're running this entire department. You can, you have four or five headcounts. You can hire people and you run it as you see fit. The entire basketball program is under you. The coaches are under you and you you run it as you see fit. So I was like, oh, man, more money and a free trial at my own academy. Yeah. Let's do it. Oh, wow. So I did that. So I went back and I told the guys at the junior room, like, I'm sorry, it was a really good time, but it's just not going to work like this because it's it's untenable. It's incredibly tiring for me. I was working hard, but I wasn't being treated the same. Like I I couldn't even get a, like I couldn't even get a laptop, a work laptop Mm -hmm. because I wasn't under their head, head count and everybody else had their own MBA laptop. Yeah. That's such a, Uh, I brought my own Mac. I brought my own Mac and like everything I did, I had to transfer it to them because they they were all on windows. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not in the system. I'm like, man, like, So it it was like a whole process. Um, So I was just like, man, I've had enough of this. I've done two years of this. Like it's, I know my value and like, Mm -hmm. I know I'm good enough to be a part of this, but I understand, you know, the strategy wise or, or all of the government, all of that. The bureaucracy. Yeah. Yeah. And so I was like, you know what, like, let, let me give, give myself a shot at managing this whole department. Uh, so I did that, but it turned out that it wasn't quite what they had promised. The company was doing okay, but it wasn't thriving. This market and this industry in China, there's a ton, a ton of competitors. Yeah, every industry. Yeah. <laughs> China. Yeah. And it's just, it's not incredibly profitable and you have to have a very large volume. Right, scale, scale is everything in China. Yep. 
And so I wasn't getting everything I was promised. Obviously, I was getting paid and everything. But I hired one person, but like we weren't able to carry out all of our visions. In fact, we weren't able to carry out like half of our visions. <laughs> so, so like six months in, I was like, man, this is tough because I have nothing to do all day. Mm. I'm the director. I have nothing to do all day because I can't move forward to any of our projects. Oh, that's And I'm like, I'm stuck. So then I walked in and I quit. And I told my employee, I was like, hey, listen, like I really enjoy having you here, but we're not going anywhere right now. I think it's best if you, you know, I'm being honest, you know, I appreciate you as a person, as an employee, but I think you should start looking elsewhere because I don't know if this is going to last and I'm going to do the same. So, oh, wow. so, so I, <laughs> so I left um, and I actually went to another uh, sports company which was much more international. The GM of this company was uh, a friend of mine who I play ball with. So he knows I know basketball. So I ended up doing uh, marketing for them. Oh, nice. Um, and I did some coaching on the side as well. So that was very fun. Hmm. That was a very okay. good experience. And it was much more flexible as well. I didn't have to clock in or out. So oh, you know, nice. I got a little bit spoiled by that a little bit. Right, 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 right. <laughs> I'd be out drinking on a Thursday night. like <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> wow. So how long did you stay in that position? Um, A year and a half. Okay. A year and a half or so. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but that, that was cut short because of COVID. Oh, okay. Yeah, so, so now we're running up against like 2019, end of 2019. Yeah, yeah. To, in 2019, 2020. 2020. Yep. That was cut short because of COVID. Uh, right. But to be honest, at the time, I wasn't really sure where I was going in my career. I knew my ultimate goal was trying to start an academy. Mm. And I had been bouncing around in the industry already. And I've made my connections, but I didn't know how to start. Mm. And having been in the industry for like two, three years already, I saw that the market was incredibly saturated. Mm -hmm. Right. And I was like, man, this is going to be really, really, really tough to do. And I don't know if I can do it to right. that scale to beat out already existing competitors. Mm. So I was kind of like at a roadblock. And then I ended up coming to Taiwan for Chinese New Year to see my family. And mm -hmm. the day I landed, COVID broke like yeah. bad. 100%. That's when I left Beijing. Yeah. Chinese New Year 2020. Right? Yeah. Yep. Bad, like bad, bad. <laughs> yep. I got back. I, I got back. I was supposed to be here for a week and I ended up staying for like six months. Yep, that's exactly what happened. Yeah. And, and well, oh. to be honest, I stayed up for like a year and a half before I left again. Right. So like, you know, a couple months in, I'm like, at first, the first like month and a half, I was like, yo, fuck yeah, chill. <laughs> <Exactly. laughs> uh, Extend the break. I'm still getting paid. Like yeah. whatever, bro. Um, and, and then you're then, like, whoa, this is lasting a little yeah. longer than I thought. And then they called me and were like, hey, we're going to suspend pay, suspend spend all work i'm like oh this is serious oh, this is real this is real i'm like oh yeah it's fine like it's okay it's like i need to go back uh and then my mom came up to me with a very very passive aggressive uh <laughs> text message like hey you know i'm getting a little older now um <laughs> that's not a good <laughs> that's not a good opening <laughs> sentence <laughs> i'm getting a little older now i would like to retire in a couple of years what do you say uh what do you think about coming back and helping me and then taking over in a few years and i was like oh shit wow that conversation came during yeah. covid yeah and uh, i remember the exact moment like I, I was in my house with my girl i saw the message i was like oh no oh here yeah. it is so we bust out two bottles of whiskey and we drink it that night before i made a decision <laughs> <laughs> yeah um wow so your mom at this time was still in shanghai uh, no, she's here. She was oh, here. Oh, she was here? Yeah, she okay. was here. So okay. the company that I work for now, so I ended up making a decision to stay. Okay, the whiskey made uh, you uh, lean yeah, that way. Yeah, well, uh, the post-whiskey clarity. <laughs> okay, I see. <laughs> yeah, the post uh, Yeah, because I, I, I take myself as a, a guy who's very heavy on uh, relationships in terms of friendship. Mm. So I treat my friends like they're my family, and I believe mm. that they are. Uh, I believe in the, you know, in the sense of like, you know, uh, friends are the family that you choose. Yeah. Because you don't get to choose your family. Exactly. So- Fortunately or unfortunately. Yeah. 
Either way, <laughs> I'm not gonna say no more. <laughs> exactly, we'll leave it at that. Um, but yeah, so I'm very heavy on my friends, and and these are guys that I've met since the first time I moved to Shanghai in 2004. So I've right. been friends with them my entire life, like for like 12, 13, 15 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I I value them very, 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 very highly, like, mm. and that was definitely the most difficult decision that I had to make. Was am I gonna be the one to leave all my friends and and come back to Taiwan to where I haven't been in like I haven't lived in a long time? Right and Try to establish myself here. Yeah, it's pretty much starting from scratch. Yeah, right? and, in and a lot I'm of ways, leaving the industry that I thought I was gonna do. You know, uh, everything. Fill your dreams. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, but uh, you know, my mom provided an opportunity for me. That well, my family provided an opportunity for me to uh, sit at a desk and have the opportunity to manage and to learn where somebody at my age at a time, 29, 20, 30 years old, would not usually have the opportunity to do so. Right. And so I was like, hey, you know what? This might be a good thing. I try to learn how to manage a company, take a pretty good title mm-hmm. uh, and move forward with it and see where we get. But that meant I was going to be here for a while. Yeah. Um, that meant like I might be here for good. Uh, so right. that, that to me was very difficult. I never envisioned myself living here for good, you know? Right. So, How long did that post whiskey uh, clarity take to kind of percolate? Like, uh, I think is I, it a hard decision? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Uh, I pride myself on making good decisions or logical decisions, especially in my career. I always try to think like, hey, what's the best possible solution for this opportunity? If I had two opportunities, I would say, hey, which is the most logical and which helps me get to my goal mm-hmm. better, right? And to me, the best decision has always matched my my heart, mm. right? Like my brain has always matched my heart up to this point. But this is the first time where my heart wants to be in Shanghai, but my brain says, stay. Yeah, like, wow. So that was that was tough. That was very tough. And, and my girl, shout out to Anna. Uh, she mm. she helped me she helped me through a lot of it. Mm. It took me like a year to get used to it. To be honest, like it took yeah. it took me like a year to get used to Taiwan and to like all right, I'm settled. Like I'm here, okay. right? Like I'm good with being here. And you know, the first few months, my friends would be out partying and they would like call me and with a beer on the desk and be like, hey, we got you a beer. When you coming? I'm like guys, don't do this to me. Right yeah, now. exactly. <laughs> I'm struggling here. Yeah, don't like, do this to like me. I'm already I'm already dying inside. Like <laughs> I'm about to crack. So. Yeah, like y'all <laughs> buy me a beer and then you put it in an empty seat and ask me when I'm gonna be there. Like that, you killing me right now bro exactly. it's a friday night i'm you're sitting at home playing friend. video games and you're out here drinking with all my boys yo yeah so yeah that was tough that was tough but uh it's much better now and uh, i uh, i think i found a, a good footing for mm. life here i mean it's monday afternoon at this taping and i'm sitting in the across from kane exactly. <laughs> so so it's uh it's not too bad. Oh man, that's crazy. So you've been back in Taiwan for about two years now? Three, yeah, two yeah. and a half now. Yeah, two right. Two and a half now, it's crazy. I went by quick. Yeah, It's a lot exactly. of golf, a lot of, uh, a lot of golf. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I've been playing a lot of golf. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, do you ever, I mean, uh, it's probably an obvious question, but do you ever miss Shanghai? Yeah, uh, all the time. I went back last year uh, in June because I I left so abruptly, I had so much stuff there. Mm. Like I had to, like I had a cat there and I had to smuggle my cat. (laughs) No way. Legit, like legit smuggled her. From Shanghai to Taiwan. Uh, ooh, how did that happen? Uh, That's interesting. I uh, I talked to my I talked to my pet shop. I was like, "Hey, do you guys know how to like get my cat back?" They were like, "Do you want it the fast way or the slow way?" <laughs> really? Because like they're like, "Your your cat has no papers." I was like, "Yeah, I know, but it has all the vaccines." I was like, "Yeah, she does, but she has no papers." I was like, "Oh, so what's the fast way?" <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, so yeah, I, I had to like pay this dude and they actually run a good like operation operation, Damn. but my cat wasn't very lucky. So she, she was pretty fucked up when she got back. 
She oh, was at the damn. vet for like a, a week on like IV. Oh, wow. Because um, the process took, took like two weeks. Yeah. And she was in a cage the whole time and she was just not having a good time. Like when she got back, she had like pee and poo on her legs and she was like licking them so hard that trying to clean herself that like. It's getting raw. Yeah, it was raw. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. It was like bleeding. I uh, mean, just the flight itself is so stressful for her. She took a boat. Oh, that was a fast way. Yeah, because the, <laughs> the, the the slow way was going through official channels and like you when you oh, when okay. you get a pet back you have to quarantine. Right, the pet has quarantine, but the fast way is like you you take a boat to like Jingma and you fly into like Kaohsiung. No, and, and then they drive you up. That's crazy. That's crazy. It took like two weeks, especially during COVID, man. Because yeah. shipping was a disaster. Uh, so they picked her up from my friend's house uh, in Shanghai and drove her to Xiamen. Yeah, and then from Xiamen. They put her on a boat to Jingmen and then, then then put her on a flight to Kaohsiung and then drove her up to Taipei. So yeah. I'd be pissed if I were her too. <laughs> well, yo, I'm sorry, but I need you here, girl. Shit. That is such a Taiwanese refugee story, man. That's no, crazy. Shaman to Jingmen. To I brought my Dalu mate to Taiwan. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That is, I mean, kind of hilarious, but yeah, so sad. It too. was bad, yeah, uh, yeah. I felt, oh. I felt terrible, but uh, wow, she's happy now. She's good, so she's, she's good. Yeah, she lost like four kgs for a cat. That's a lot. Yeah, and then you know, slowly she's getting it back. So she's a yeah. tough one. Yeah, she's a fighter. She's been through some shit. So yeah, like, don't exactly. fuck with her. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Wow. So what was the hardest thing to get used to when you were here in Taiwan? You know, you said it took you like almost a year and a half, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. Because, I, I mean, Taiwan is still home. Yeah. Uh, so it, it's like the plus side of it is like one of the things I consider is that, you know, my, my family are here. Mm. And I haven't really lived with my family for a while. Mm. Or like I haven't been close to family for a while. Um, so it's nice for me to be here and be close to family and, you know, be there for whenever they need me or when there's an event you know, family outing or whatever. Uh, but it was hard because I had to leave my other family. Mm. Uh, I think that's still the hardest thing. Uh, and it's hard to, it was not easy for me to establish my circle. You know, going back to being a third culture kid, like it's not that easy to find other third culture kids. Exactly. Uh, so, you know, they're either people are, it's not a bad thing. People are too ta culturally Taiwanese for me and right. it's hard for me to connect. Yeah. Or like, you know, they're, I'll say it, fuck it. Uh, <laughs> Like Same. rich second generation kids that yeah, like I don't Florida. I don't I don't vibe I don't vibe with like out here spilling money like like you earned it like you don't exactly so there's yep. a contrast and I was trying to find a like people who are in the medium which I think I am yeah uh, and that's so rare man. it's rare it's rare Especially so, in Taiwan so yeah. it's like it was hard for me to establish a circle mm. um, but I have a few friends from high school who, who live here now mm. and. They have some friends from college or whatever, and these group of people who like they actually golf with them a lot now. Mm. These people are very chill and mm. they're very cool people, and and then slowly I established uh, a network a circle. Yeah, so that it got easier, absolutely got easier. And Taiwan ain't bad, uh, mm -hmm. and I ain't complaining because you know I have my own apartment, which is solid. Mm -hmm. Which actually we talked about last Legendary, time. Legendary, apparently. You're gonna, yeah, you're gonna have to. I, you're gonna I have to roll through, bro. Very soon, brother. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you gonna have to roll through. Uh, shout out, Alex, when you come back, bro. <laughs> exactly, Alex. We are waiting. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, Alex has some stories. <laughs> exactly. Um, but yeah, like we're chilling. Um, you know, he's stuck in the Philippines right now. Yeah, I heard. Yeah, yeah I heard. Uh, but ho hopefully, you get better and you get back soon, Alex. Is so. exactly. 
yeah, so yeah, I, I'm comfortable here. You know, my life is good. It's better than it was when in Shanghai. But you mm. know, I'm missing for me a big piece of it is my friends. And yeah, I have great friends here, mm. uh, and I, I don't. And it's not it's not a comparison, but they cannot replace what I had from middle school and high school. They can't replace your boys. Yeah, those are the boys. You know, yeah. like those are like childhood friends growing up, going through living in a third culture country, like right. being a third culture kid in a foreign country, in a which, metropolis, like yeah. a thriving metropolis. And you like go Shanghai. through. You go through all this shit like drinking at 13 going to clubs at 13 like riding right. motorcycles when you're young cracking and, your head open yeah like all of this shit you go through together and and, and it's just it's it's a bond that you, you can't change right yeah like, exactly you can't really it's beat history yeah. yeah you can't really beat the history so yeah so i'm missing that part of that part of me but uh you know i'm looking forward to when things are opening up here in taiwan and i was about China. to say that i mean that's a good thing right you're just a hop and a skip right over yeah so shanghai. like my original intent was like hey you know what it's it's a hour and a half flight to shanghai from mm -hmm. taipei and like Songshan Hongqiao is like, I've done the calculation mm. from my house to my house in Shanghai, mm. three hours. I could do it in three hours. Door to door. Door to door. Yeah. Oh my, like, I could do that on weekends. But the fast way or the slow way? The fast way, the fast way. <laughs> <laughs> the fast way. This yeah. time the fast you way papers, means the plane. You your papers in there. <laughs> yeah. this, this, this time the, the fast way is the plane, not the boat, <laughs> right. not the boat. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not messing with the You're boat. You're not going through gym, man? No, no. no. I, I put her through it. I seen it. I'm not going through it. <laughs> But, oh, but yeah, man. like, uh, hopefully, you know, when all this opens up, like my goal, my plan was to go back every month, but I think, uh, realistically every other month mm. is, uh, is a reasonable, uh, target. You wow. Know? Just, that's, just for a weekend, that's you know, cool. just for a weekend. My, it's easy, accessible. I got places to stay. I got, you know, you still have a house there in Shanghai. I do not anymore, but okay. I have a lot of friends. Yeah. Uh, I have a lot of friends with, you know, spare, couches. spare bedrooms even. Yeah. Yep. So like, I'm solid. Uh, one of my best friends, Andre, he always tells me, man, like, hey, the, the room has your name on it. Like, mm. you, it's yours. Like, whenever you come back, yeah. you're welcome to stay. And I'm like, yo, I appreciate that, man. Like, That's dope. And you were mentioning before we hopped on the podcast that you have a lot of friends from Shanghai coming here as well, right? Yeah, Visiting well, you, you know, they they live in Shanghai, but they're not, you know, originally from Shanghai. Right. But uh, yeah, uh, you know, COVID situation, people are, you know, kind of running or whatever, getting out as, as soon as possible. So the last, I would say, six months now, since December last year, like people have been coming back. And, mm. and either for Chinese New Year or other purposes or just moving back. So I have, I've had some pieces of Shanghai come back to me, uh, which is great. And it's made my life a lot easier as well. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so yeah, it's uh, so far it's looking good. And, you know, quarantine is now three plus four and China actually bumped down their quarantine to like, I think like 10 plus three or something like that. Oh yeah, okay. So, so both sides are starting to open up. So I'm hoping this year I'll get to travel, maybe mm. not to China at this point in time, but- uh, right. Like I'm a big snowboarder. I want to go to Japan and, you know, I, I can take a trip back towards the U.S. I haven't been back to the States in like six years. Oh, man. So, yeah, it's been too long for me, too. Not that long, but it feels too long. Yeah. I need to get back. Yeah, it's been a while. So I, you know, I need me some In-N-Out, some Chipotle. Mm, preach on, brother. Yeah. <laughs> I need me some real Mexican food. That's that, that's one thing I can't get used to in Taiwan, though. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of food that's missing here, but yeah. Mexican food for people who live, who in, live Cali. in Cali. Oh, Oh man. Subpar, subpar. <laughs> exactly. And that's being kind. Yeah, that's being kind for sure. <laughs> yeah, for sure, man. I mean, speaking of that, we're planning to have a little lunch together. And yeah. uh, I'm getting hungry. Yeah, let's do it. Well, I mean, we got. What time is it? Oh, damn. Yeah, exactly. We've been talking, talking. <laughs> exactly. My bad, my bad. Yeah, no, no. It is all good. Okay, so finally, what do you what do you think now, man? You, you've gone through a crazy life and you've had a lot of dreams and broken dreams and then new dreams and other kind of things. So 
how's it looking right now? You think you envision yourself living here for the rest of your life, kind of taking over your your parents' legacy, you know, turning this business into maybe maybe even kind of like branching out, maybe opening up a, a branch in Shanghai or something like that, so you can go. Or what's the idea right now uh, for Mr. Jerry Koo? You you got the general idea. I mean, yeah. I've bought a house here, um, mm. so I'm waiting to, for that to be done. We will um, be neighbors, brother. Yeah, we will. Yeah, um, yeah. Like like you said, you know, taking over. Uh, managing, but like much like what I said earlier, I don't want to be strapped to the desk. Um, so I want to help the company that I'm at now, you know, get to a point where it's stable mm. and get to a point where it's profiting stably. Mm -hmm. um, and I want it to be able to find somebody who can manage on a daily basis, mm. where I, and that can be more remote, and I can be almost like a shareholder. And obviously. That's a little bit of ways awake because first I will allow my mom to retire and mm. I got to put a couple couple of years of, you know, under my belt yep. and, you know, sort that stuff. Um, but that is the ultimate goal. Um, mm. And yeah, like you said, once I take care of business on this side and it's ready, I can explore into China and I can be back and forth. Yeah. Um, that, that market is too big not to tap. 100%. Um, you know, and just have to be more careful about what we do in terms of, you know, what we've seen this time with the lockdown and all of that. And we know that's there. Um, so, you know, just having a little bit more flexibility in my life is great. Uh, I think ultimately, you know, some of the earlier dreams that I've had, uh, have kind of gone away, mm. uh, and I'm looking at it more realistically now. Mm. Um, so I'm trying to make the best of these situations and trying to be responsible, but also have you know enough fun and, and just be free. Really. Like Keep I want to balance. Yeah. I want to be able to travel. I want to be able to go places. I want, I don't want to be tied to a desk with like 15 paid days off a, a year. Exactly. Um, I want to be able to do live my own life. Thing. Yeah, live life. Like yeah. enjoy the things, man. Like uh, play golf on a weekday. I'll ride my motorcycle around. Exactly. And, Your yeah. car with new rims. Yeah, my car with new rims. I'm gonna you know, coming rip, up soon. Rip that through the mountains. Exactly. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like uh, do all of that and and just while while being able to respectfully or respect uh, respectably manage my business, you know, and not become one of the the four guys who right. Who just yeah. take everything for granted and yeah so i, I want to try to be a balanced person and, and do all of that at the same time exactly. but that that comes from being able to handle my stuff first right so right what kind be, of uh business is it so we uh actually import construction material so we mm -hmm. sell we we sell we import and sell uh anything from kitchens to floors to bathroom stuff like uh, sinks uh faucets yeah it's a it's a pretty interesting business uh, we, we have been growing the last few years it's mm. only been around for five five six years now oh really um, okay. so in this business is kind of slow because some of this stuff you might make an order today but you might not need it for another year mm. because it's your house is not being built yet. Yeah, right. Uh, or, or whatever. It might take three years if it's a construction project. Mm -hmm. Five years even. Um, so like some of the money that we see coming in right now are from like two, three years ago. It's a, it's a finally materializing. Yeah, it's a slow buildup and it's materializing. And I can see that the new business is currently, you know, getting a little bit better and it's on the up. Uh, and so I'm hopeful for the future, hoping that, you know, I can help to manage the company and run smoothly and become more and more profitable. And then I can step back and, you know, live anywhere or be anywhere at any time. Right. Boss yeah. mode. Yeah, boss mode. Full boss mode. Up. Work off my phone. Exactly. I'm waiting for the day where I'm busy enough to have two phones. On the golf course. Yeah. Just Sorry, like, I got to take this call. Yeah. Just AirPods in. Hold on, hold on. Six iron? What? <laughs> 255? Oh, I got that. Right. Hold up. This is an eagle putt. <laughs> 
So what your business, is it like what percent of it is individuals and what percent are kind of more commercial kind of accounts? Uh, at the moment, it's uh, so we actually sell a lot of uh, a lot to commercial or not, not necessarily commercial, but we sell a lot to con- like developers, yeah, developers. Yeah. Uh, but that's actually, those are very big orders, but they're not as often seen. Of course. Um, we have a lot of direct consumers, mm. but we also have a lot of mostly interior designers. So there are a lot of interior design companies and they will come and they will look for things that they might like. One of our specialties is that like most of our stuff are very customizable, mm. uh, whether it's vanity or, or a kitchen. Uh, in Taiwan, it's very necessary to be customized. Because yeah, exactly. No, your sizes are different. Your walls are different. Whatever. Hundred um, percent. People's people's tendencies are different. Their preferences are different. So yeah, that market's amazing here in Taiwan. Yeah, you can get anything you want. Customized. I mean, we were talking about your your yeah rims, the rims even. yeah yeah like everything anything. is customized. You want it? Yeah. Just you got to find the right person. Yeah, I got to find the right person and be able to do it. Yeah. So and we also have a lot of like special finished colors. So mm. like you can have a rose gold sink faucet or, yeah. or like a black matte black or whatever it is that you might like. So. A lot of this is very appealing to these designers. So mm-hmm. I would say the majority of our clients are designers mm-hmm. and regular consumers who've seen our stuff on the websites or or on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah. Um, so it's higher end stuff. Uh, I would say we're middle high. Okay. We're middle high. Okay. Uh, it's not like super high end, you know, quick segment. Our prices are pretty good value mm. um, because usually what happens is that there is a trading company that brings it in and then they sell it to the distributor and then the dis- distributor sells it. Right. We don't do that because we are the trading company mm. and we sell it. Mm. So you, you cut out a middleman. Right. So our prices uh, for the quality of product is actually quite reasonable. reasonable right. Uh, quite reasonable. Right. It's a good, very good value in mm. my opinion. What about the customization? Does that happen back in those home countries or you yeah, guys so, actually have a factory to do that? Uh, so all of our so-called imported stuff is done in Italy. Oh, wow. Uh, at the factories nice. in Italy. So we send them our orders and they're made. Uh, they're made done. to order. Yeah, they're made to order and then they come in and then we just put them together for you. We do also sell kitchen stuff that is customized here. But in that case, we call it domestic products. Mm. But we import all the materials from different places of the world. And then we have a factory where which we're a partner with. Mm. And when you make an order, we'll have them do all the customization. So we'll cut the boards or whatever, and mm-hmm. put, the, put, the cuff, put the links on and, what, and whatnot. So we call that our domestic product. Mm. But really the materials are import quality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And the company is based here in Taipei? Yeah, here in Taipei and Neihu, uh, right, right around Costco. It's called yep. Reixing Sanlun. Okay. Uh, Instagram handle, at yep. Reixing Products. How do you spell that? Uh, R-A-I-X-I-N. X-I-N. Okay. Yeah. Nice. So, Reixing. Yeah, it's cool. Come come, give us a look sometime. Yeah. Jerry was telling me about it before we hopped on. The location, I was trying to figure out where it was. Um, and then he mentioned it was right across from Meifu. And I was like, oh, man, I know exactly that place because it's a really cool storefront. Yes, it's pretty solid. We it's have all a, glass, right? Yeah, so you all can, glass. You can, see, you can see what's going on there. I, yeah. I, lo- I love that setup, man. Yeah, it's a, the setup is a little bit different from what generally what construction material companies look like. Mm-hmm. Uh, we actually had a design and it's a more spacious, simple design. Exactly. Um, very minimalist nice so, and dark too yeah. it's like has a nice ambiance yeah so use my name like when it. you come if you're listening to this podcast use yeah. my name when you come i'll get you some coffee <laughs> i don't know about a discount but a coffee might do <laughs> he will deliver the coffee yeah we'll deliver the coffee you will meet mr jerry Koo. that's right yep exactly <laughs> i, I can o- i can only <laughs> promise coffee <laughs> i'm not up there yet Oh, that's awesome. But eventually he will be. 
and then you got to hound him. Yeah. Find Mr. Koo. That's right. Exactly. Nice. That's a perfect way to end it, I think. We will wish for uh, good fortune for your company. Uh, hopefully it, send some business there as well. And um, thank you very much for coming to tell your story. It was real. It was awesome. It was it was really deep. And um, I think it gives us a really good glimpse into the possibilities here in Taiwan and internationally as well. Yeah, man, I appreciate it. This was fun. Uh, I was pretty nervous, but uh, yeah, exactly. this is, you this killed is, it, brother. This is cool, man. Uh, thanks for having me again. Yeah. Let's go get some lunch. Exactly. Exactly. We are about to get some lunch, so we'll leave you all to it. We are out. Peace. Peace.